Okay, it is four minutes after 12. You're listening to SENZ, Mark Watson with you through to three o'clock this afternoon. Telephone lines are open. 0800 150811. 0800 150811 is the number. Um, we've got Joe. He'll be joining us throughout the afternoon. He is putting the show together. He will also throw his two cents in. How are you, Joe? I'm great, Wado. Yeah, really good, actually. I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but just with a little segue I did earlier with Ian Smith, um, America's Cup, got any issues with the America's Cup? Do you like the America's Cup? Are you aware of all uh, little reasons why they've possibly gone to Barcelona? I honestly don't have much interest in the America's Cup, to be no. honest. Yeah, yeah. For, I mean, yeah, from a viewing point, it's never been, like, that thrilling to me. I mean, I did, I remember when I was back in high school, we watched uh, when New Zealand lost the cup. That's probably my most uh, memorable America's Cup memory back in 2013. So that's why I pay literally no attention to it, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that's the case with a lot of people. I, I still think it was a better product um, back in the day of the Manaholes when we had the PJ Montgomery's commentating it and you had a crew and crew work could um, I guess make up the difference maybe in the design of the boats where these days I think if you do have a design advantage I'm not sure that you can necessarily pull it back um, through having a quality crew a lot of the sailors these days are actually athletes um, from different sports um, whether it be rowing uh, whether it be cycling um, and then you have your um, helm which um yeah, generally a world-class sailor. So it's an interesting dynamic, It's an, uh, but that's the evolution of the sport. Why does it cost so much? Yes, the design, but you're actually paying for some of the smartest people in the world um, in regards to the technology and the innovation required to keep it rightly or wrongly. And so Stephen Tindall, who set up the warehouse, who was part of Team New Zealand, I'm not sure if he still is or was for a long time, said, look, this is not a sports organisation, this is a technology company. And so if you want to have world-class technology, you've got to pay some pretty bright people a lot of money to keep them. Um, and that's where a lot of the expense does go. It's about human resource. There is one sport outside of rugby that provides New Zealand a real sense of nationalism every three or four years. It is the America's Cup, like it or not. It is massive viewing. It is a fabric. It is part of the fabric of who we are as New Zealanders. It's something that we identify with overseas, alongside of the Americas, uh, alongside of the All Blacks, and it's something we're really proud of. Um, I, I've never. I, I used to have a terrible relationship with Grant Dalton. Um, I wasn't a big fan of uh, the way things were done necessarily. Uh, some of that was probably based a little bit on ignorance. Um, some of it might be fair enough. Um, I went to the Olympic Games with yachting commentator Peter Lester in 2012 and we became quite good friends. And Peter said, look, you and Grant actually aren't dissimilar in a lot of ways and I think you'd actually get on really well with him. And so um, I got a phone call from um, Peter one day and said, look, Grant's invited you down to Team New Zealand, wants to take you through the base. And I was always a little bit reluctant to get too close to anybody when I was in, you know, sort of News Talk ZB and previously Radio Sport because I don't know whether you can necessarily do your job that well if you're close, too close to somebody. I think it makes you very difficult to critique them or to have a hard opinion when sometimes 
you know, I think there is justification for some serious critique. But I sort of broke my rule because Peter had organised it and I went down to Team New Zealand. It was, and it wasn't easy, um, you know, eye to eye. Uh, I think he was a little uncomfortable. I was a little uncomfortable because I, I, I had gone to town on the guy. I had gone to town on the America's Cup. I wanted some questions and some answers. But look, you know, we um, had a good chat and I sort of said, look, it's difficult as a talkback host. Sometimes you back yourself into a corner with an opinion and it's very hard to get out of that corner. And so we... Um, yeah, had a bit of a chat and I took me through with Peter Lester through Team New Zealand. We had a look at um, some of the training tools they used and some of the virtual training systems that they used. And then they took me up for a day on the water and I got a chance to sort of sit down with Grant and talk to him and ask him some questions and he sort of had a little bit more of a chat about what some of my motivations are and when it was all said and done, we put it to one side and we've got on really well ever since. Um, and so I do have that relationship. Uh, did he buy me? A lot of people say, oh, he just bought you. No, he didn't. He didn't, actually. I'm not somebody who can be bought. I'm old enough and smart enough to make my own decisions. Um, but I am confident that if I decide to get on the phone and put a request in, that Grant will talk to me. I just at the moment choose not to because I'm just not sure that the issues are there. Um, that other people perhaps can't answer. Uh, look, like all of us, he's probably a bit of a flawed genius, um, but he is a genius. He's very, very good at what he does. He's a winner. He doesn't tolerate fools, and he hates coming second. And I think we need that sometimes in sport. Uh, if you ask him, he, look, he'll, put, he'll be the first guy to put his hand up and say he's made some mistakes. Haven't we all? Uh, but, hey, he's won the America's Cup. He's lost the America's Cup. He's re gained the America's Cup, he's defended the America's Cup and he's looking to defend it again. Yes, there has been a lot of public money put in to Team New Zealand, I get that. Um, But it's also generated a bit of a legacy. You've only got to have a look at the viaduct down there in Auckland. Primarily that was probably more from the 1990 campaigns. Um, But the harsh reality is if we were to host it here in New Zealand, we would probably lose it because we just simply wouldn't have the financial resource to be able to find that elusive 1% in performance that you need. Still no guarantees that we'll defend it in Barcelona. But it is what it is. And as I said, you've got companies now that have got Formula One teams on board helping them, Alinghi. I think they're with Red Bull. Um, you've got the might of the United Kingdom putting money behind Ineos. And we are just a small country. And I, look, I don't blame the government either for not putting no more money into this either. I mean, $100 million is a lot of money, isn't it? When you look at what they call in economic terms, opportunity cost, where could that money better be spent? So anyway, that, that's just um, my little sort of uh, narrative in and around Grant Dalton and the America's Cup. Of course, they've got this regatta going on in Saudi Arabia um, this weekend. Uh, Peter up there, Stephen McIver up there as well, um, and some others. It doesn't really mean too much. These are just basically models of what they're eventually going to be racing in. But there are some incentives up for grabs and it is an opportunity to hone and do some testing and um, provide some racing uh, with the America's Cup name around it and allow the crew to experience some of the peripherals that perhaps go with the America's Cup. Psychological honours up for grabs? Possibly. 
I'm not sure there's a lot of merit in that one, but possibly. Uh, look, people talk about Saudi Arabia. Um, why are we going to Saudi Arabia? Look at their women's rights issues and all these other sort of social issues. But you could find fault in any country if you go looking for it. And I think sometimes, I don't condone what Saudi Arabia do, but I think they are an easy target. I, I mentioned to Smithy, I tell you what, if you go up to India and you have a look at that caste system there, that is basically just internal apartheid. I think it's Dalit, which is the lowest form of the caste system up there. You are basically not even considered human by the absolute upper echelons of Indian society, and there's no way that their son, their daughter, is going to marry anybody that low in social class. You know, you can have a look at some of the human rights issues in China, but then I think you could probably have a look historically at the United States as well. And you've got to decide whether you just want to separate a country and them hosting a sport and the moral issue that perhaps goes with that. I remember there was all sorts of uproar when Team New Zealand announced they were going to Saudi Arabia by the media and they were, I felt, predominantly a female media and predominantly sitting slightly on the left politically. But Lydia Ko wins a major tournament in Saudi Arabia and they say nothing. Why is Lydia Ko playing in Saudi Arabia? Why is it okay for her to play there and win there and yet it's not okay for other sports teams to travel there? You know, where was the media jumping up and down when the All-Whites last year played Qatar? When you look at their human rights issues, yes, admittedly it wasn't played in the country, but they're still playing them. So there is an awful lot of virtue signalling goes on, but I think there's also an awful lot of ignorance and hypocrisy that's associated with it. Uh, anyway, 0800 150 if you want to have your say on that. Uh, if you do want to have your say on that, where do you sit on... Uh, the America's Cup, Grant Dalton, uh, someone texting in here saying, um, Smithy, Grant Dalton is by far the most successful CEO of any New Zealand sports organisation. If New Zealand wanted to retain the cup, they had to follow the money offshore. I don't know why the New Zealand media can't see that. They seem to love on, or they seem to love to hate on him. I, and I agree with that too. Um, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Is there much interest in this mini regatta? Probably not. Will there be huge interest next year? Absolutely. There'll be a lot of people who say, oh, I'm not going to watch it. I don't agree with what they did. Guarantee you'll be watching it. It's like people who want to send abusive texts into me and tell me how crap I am and I should go home and where's Staffy and whatever else. Same people still, for some reason, an hour later are still listening. I'm not sure why, but that is the case. 0800-150811 if you do just want to have a chat on the America's Cup, Saudi Arabia, politics and sport, hypocrisy, the media, any of those issues that I've addressed or brought up, 0800-150811. Uh, the other talking point too that I just want to look at is Kane Williamson, his 29th Test 100, a, a remarkable cricketer, a guy who conducts himself incredibly well, is an absolute gentleman of the game, very hard to dislike Kane Williamson. Um, we're celebrating his 100 and rather than maybe critiquing what was a pretty average batting performance from New Zealand against a country that I think we should be beating still consistently home and away, an emerging country in Bangladesh. Bangladesh out for 310, New Zealand 266 for 8. Um, and as mentioned, Kane Williamson, 
scoring yet again another 100. Bold Islam for 104. His batting average now at test level sits at 54.89. 8,124 runs in 94 matches. Now, as much as I love Kane Williamson, I still think Martin Crow, technically a better batsman, still technically the best batsman we have produced. And I do think if he was playing in this era on these batting conducive pitches, neutral umpires, smaller grounds, weaker competition, I think he would have scored 30 test hundreds. I have no doubt about it, and I think he would have averaged into the 50s. you got to remember, this guy played in an era where the West Indies were lethal. When you went to Australia, you were playing the Australian umpires. Pakistan, you had the likes of Akram and Eunice, okay, a little bit later on and towards the end of Martin's career. But I still think technically the best batsman we've had. Just behind him, I'd put Glenn Turner in the mix and then I'd probably put Kane Williamson. You cricket aficionados. And it's always a hard one to compare from generation to generation, so I'm just giving you my opinion. Who is the greatest batsman New Zealand's ever produced? Do we look purely at runs scored and batting averages? Or are there some intangibles at play here? based on environmental factors, based on evolution or the lack of it. 0800 150811 is the number. Uh, equally too, I just want to continue our theme on the text machine, the temper bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Uh, backyard cricket rules. We're going to do this over the, until tomorrow as well. We had some really good rules coming in yesterday. People jumping on the phone, telling us their backyard cricket stories. The disappointing thing I find with backyard cricket, every single rule is set up to getting the batter out. Has anybody ever scored a legitimate 50 or 100 in backyard cricket? Love to hear from you. A double 100, perhaps. A triple 100. Who is the greatest backyard cricketer of all time? And don't want to hear this, the BS stories. Legitimate. What were the rules you were playing to? How long was the wicket? Hi, Gary. G'day, Wado. Well, strangely you're talking about that because that's what I was ringing up about. I remember yesterday you were saying, has anybody ever got a 100 in backyard cricket? And I was talking to you about me and my mates and how we kept the scorecards and that. So I gave him a ring last night. And, um, yeah, he's got all of them all. And before he, I even asked him, you know, could you find those books? He goes, no, 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 I can tell you right now. It was a game between Australia versus England. And Tim Zora, who was a wicketkeeper batsman for the Aussies, got 204 not out. He was very proud of that. And that was backyard <laughs> There you go. This is backyard cricket, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah because, because there is, a, there, you, you can go onto YouTube and they do have this test series being played in somebody's backyard and these guys have done it with proper scoring and graphics and everything and it's New Zealand, Australia and it's a very yep. cool backyard uh, wicket but it is actually genuinely a backyard. They do, a, you know, they do the fly above and show you the property and the backyard in it. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, well, I guess if you're going to score 100 you're probably going to go on and play for Australia, aren't you? <laughs> well, possibly, yeah. Yeah, but I, I remember that game match actually too. We must have been about like 10 to 12 or something like that. And uh, England did throw his toys and march on home as well in the end. He, he got a bit fed up. 
<laughs> yeah, it didn't take much to get. Oh, look, mind you, it probably didn't take me to get a bit annoyed too. Um, you know, we, we, I can't we, we, see we, that in your personality. Oh yeah, no. Look, I'm, <laughs> I, look, I, I'm actually pretty good. I can be confrontational radio. Sometimes it's a bit deliberate. Sometimes it's not. But I'm not yeah. actually somebody who likes confrontation generally. But I am competitive and. I've learned to control that. But, yeah, when I was young, mate, I, 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 like anyone, when you're a competitor and things don't go your way, even the most rational become irrational. Yeah, well, you want to win, don't you? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, and quickly, just on um, the best batsman in New Zealand ones, I, I go um, Martin Crowe myself, but I guess that's an age sort of base thing. Mm. I remember growing up watching him, and he, he was just magnificent. You can see in your eye, can't you, that cover drive of his, just oh, magnificent. Yeah, I mean, you go on YouTube and have a look at Crow batting, but boy, I tell you what, technically good. Glenn Turner was another yeah. one. I mean, Andrew Jones was a good batter. Um, I, I just think today... Different, different style, though, wasn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. He played with his feet off the ground a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I always love yeah. Johnny Wright with the high bat, you know, holding the bat nice and high um, in his stance. Yeah. But, I mean, if you do look at statistics, the modern-day bowler's averaging about... The best of the modern-day bowler's averaging about 28, 29. The Hadley bowlers back in the day are averaging 21, 22. And the top yeah. batsmen... You know, at, during that same era, you, you're probably averaging 44, 45. The top guys are now averaging sort of 55, aren't they? Oh, like you say, the game is completely set up for bats and batsmen these days, 100%. With the new bats, like you say, um, smaller grounds too in lots of the places. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it, it, and I, mean, I guess that's due to the spectacle as well. You want to see people scoring runs, I guess. But, you know, there's nothing better than watching the likes of a Richard Adley come in and see him swinging that ball in swing, in swing, out swing, you know, and just working out a batsman and getting them out. But um, yeah, no, it, it's definitely set up towards the batsman these days. But that's that's not a bad thing, I guess. No, hey, lovely to have you on the program, Gary. Thank you. All right, what a twenty-one and a half minutes after twelve. See, you can hear that phone in the background. That's my mum phoning me. That's my mum phoning me, just checking in on me. My mum still phones me. I'm not going to answer it though. I'm just going to let it ring out. I'll phone mum back. Hi, Mikey. Okay, oh, what a. Um, when I was growing up, my parents ran motels, and uh, as well as the motels themselves, there was about a half an acre, or almost probably, a, yeah, probably a half an acre of grass and land. So our rules were that if you could actually hit the ball onto the um, the, the motel building on the full, uh, you'd get twelve runs. And how many times? Um, how many so times was that achieved? And how <laughs> how old were you when when you were in your prime? Because uh, you know, it's amazing when you're eight or nine what long what a long way looks like, and then you go back in your thirties and you go, actually, that was a pretty small boundary. Probably, probably uh, between ten and twelve years old, and so the only actual shot I had was the um, straight drive over the head. The only one, only shot I had in my arsenal. So every time I see um, Mitchell hit those sixes over the head, I get a wee tingle. I'm like, yeah, that's the shot. Yeah, that's where, the one. Couldn't where, do anything else. Where, where was the motel? Uh, it was in uh, Christchurch on Cranford Street, which has all been built up so, now. So, the land's so, all got motels on it. But. See, I'd always used to commentate, you know, so when you say, look, I'm coming in from the Cranford Street end. <laughs> we, we just love to belt today. Eh? Mm. Hey, just on Kane, um, I just thank the cricketing gods that we've got him. You know, yeah, I know. It's just yeah. a pleasure yeah. that, that we can just see him go, and I, I hope he's got another four or five years. Um, and I really hope that we see him and Ravindra um, in partnership. 
on the field. Yeah, Ravindra sort of reminds me a bit of Steve Smith. You know, when Steve Smith came into the Australian team, he was sort of uh, more of an all-rounder, more of a spinner, wasn't he? He was bought more originally for his bowling, and then suddenly he developed mm. into arguably, you know, one of the great Australian batsmen, one of the great batsmen of all time, unorthodox as he is. And then suddenly we're thinking Ravindra. You know, when people are talking about Ravindra, I'm thinking, oh, he's about 8, 9, 10, 11. And then suddenly he's just come in and first drop, second drop, and just looks the goods, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, amazing. And I think I believe he opens with Conway for Wellington. Yes, he does. Um, so and see, I, I, I'll be honest, because I'm so out of tune with domestic first-class cricket, I wasn't actually aware of that until someone highlighted that to me again. Yeah, so he's definitely got the chops. And from what I saw on the, on the World Cup, he, he just looks technically pretty good and he's always going to be learning. Um, so... Oh God! I hope he hope he plays in that Aussie Test in Christchurch because if he's if he's playing, I'm definitely going. And then to see him and um, Kane and you know Mitchell and stuff like that and Conway, oh, that'd be that'd be a great day out. Oh, look, I, I just think we have to. I think we've got to start developing some of these younger players at a test level. We need to be looking forward to that Boxing Day test in three years' time. That needs to be our Olympic Games. We need to start winning those tests, and I think we do need to just throw a little bit of caution into the wind now. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Hey, have a great show, mate. Yeah, no, Thank brilliant. You. Thank you. Lovely to have you on the programme. 25 minutes after 12. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. We've got some texts that have come in. I will read. Um, Someone not impressed by my comparison of Williamson with Glenn Turner, but I'll give you my reasons for that shortly. Lines are open. 0800 150811 is the number. Got a long little trailer tailor, isn't it? Trailer tailor, that's got a little bit of gangster to it. I could put that into a wrap, trailer tailor. Anyway, we'll work on that throughout the day. Um, Castles, we have a dozen Castle beer to give away today, thanks to our mates at Castles Brewery Company. Award-winning flavour, freshness and quality. Head to castles.nz for more information. Remember, you've got to be 18 years of age. Drink responsibly. We've had a few callers through. Um, And if you do phone the programme, we'll put you in the draw to pick up two dozen. Uh, the lines are open. It is 12.30. is the number. Okay, so let's just go back here and have a look at some of the texts around our leading batsmen, our best batsmen. I'm not so much concerned about where they batted and the batting order they were in. I'm just talking about when you looked at them, who's the best player that you've seen play for New Zealand technically, X-factor-wise? I mean, Brendan McCullum would be in the discussion, surely, wouldn't he? Or do we just base it purely on runs scored and centuries scored? I guess if you're looking at purely from a purist point of view, that's probably got to be the measure. And some texts. I could stomach Crow being better than Kane, but Turner being better than him is ridiculous. Turner isn't even in the conversation. That's just a bit of your nostalgia coming out, Watto. That comes from John. Well, John, he did score 100 first-class hundreds. He refused to play for New Zealand for a large part of his career because he felt that they should receive remuneration. So he actually stood up for professionalism, rightly or wrongly. And then, of course, we saw Kerry Packer and everybody else coming in the game started to go that way anyway. But don't enter a, do your reading on Glenn Turner. Wonderful player. I like this text because it was something I was actually going to address and someone's brought it up. Good to hear you, Watto. You mentioned biased Australian umpires. Do you think the likes of Crow received favourable decisions by our local umpires in that era too? Probably. Absolutely. I'm just not sure to the same degree, perhaps, as the Australians. Now, I don't know whether it's just um, one of those, what do you call it, um, 
myths, urban myths that Alan Border never went out LBW in Australia, was never given out LBW in Australia. But you do just go back to that Boxing Day test of 86, 87. I think Mike Whitney was the batsman. Um, we really just needed the one wicket. It's a test match we should have won. We had Hadley and we had Danny Morrison and there was just no way. I mean, you go and watch the highlights. Just blatant LBWs, just not given out. It was rife. I mean, even worse in India and Pakistan. But now you do have at least the DRS. You do have neutral umpires and you can challenge poor decisions. The wickets are a lot flatter. They are more batting conducive. Outfields are faster. Grounds are smaller. How many test centuries would Martin Crow have scored? What about Bert Sutcliffe? Glenn Turner, Martin Donnelly, John Reid. That comes from Dave. Yeah, look, again, I didn't see Bert Sutcliffe play. I saw Glenn Turner. I remember him getting dropped at Eden Park on six against England. I think it was 1983, 82-83. And he goes on and scores 136. Always remember that game. Bob Willis was out here. I think Chris Tavare was here. Alan Lamb. I said Bob Willis off the big long run. But they're all names that are worth the discussion. We tend to look at the players in the here and the now, don't we? And, you know, people are saying, look, Messi is the greatest footballer the world has ever seen. And you go, hang on a minute, Pelé scored single-handedly pretty much took Brazil to three World Cup World Cup victories and changed the game forever. Um, have we got short memories? That's probably more of a debate and discussion. I don't want to take anything away from Kane Williamson, like I say, a remarkable cricketer. The only, the only criticism I've had of Kane Williamson was going to the IPL, missing, I think it was last year or two years ago, missing the New Zealand summit because of an elbow injury, miraculously coming right for the IPL when there's millions of dollars up for grabs, and then arriving, and it was last year's series to England. We lost the series 3-0. These guys have played in the IPL, and I'm just not sure that that is the best preparation for test. In fact, it's awful preparation for test cricket, and you're the captain of your country. I like the way the Australians... Steve Smith, Cummings, etc. say, look, I'm not going to play in the IPL next year. A lot of the English players say, I'm not going to play in the IPL next year. I want to make sure I'm ready for test cricket. And that's the only little asterisk I put next to Kane Williamson is money over country. Would I do the same? I don't know. But I'm not captain my country in cricket. And you've already made a lot of money in the game already. We can't win a test series in England when our players are turning up two days before the first test having come off a diet of T20 cricket. That's like trying to win the New York Marathon and your entire build-up's been running the 400 metres. Niels Tixton, the older generation, might suggest Stu Dempsey, Martin Donnelly, Bert Sutcliffe would be in the argument for technical top New Zealand batsmen. 100% Neil, 100%. Text us here on double eight double three. Interesting text that's come in regards to the America's Cup and it going to Barcelona, uh, which I will read. Um, I've got a, I've read the text and therefore I can address that text. Um, but just trying to keep things in some sort of uh, order in regards to topics. 
Uh, 24 minutes away from one. Have we got some sports headlines there, um, Joe? We do indeed. Headlines. I know you want them. I know you want them. I know you want them, but you're a good boy. Time for Joe's headlines. As you mentioned earlier, uh, Kane Williamson became the first New Zealand player to score a century in four consecutive tests and just the second ever following Andrew Jones to register three tonnes in consecutive test innings. He talked about what that moment meant to him. This is always, uh, you know, it's about the team and trying to uh, trying to help get them in the best position possible and, and be a part of as many partnerships and that's always the, the goal and you know, so that was the, the pleasing thing today, although it would have been nice to, to still be out there. So he shrugged, he shrugged it off, but obviously it means a lot to the country. And Amelia Kerr will miss the opening T20 game to be played in Dunedin on Sunday between the White Ferns and Pakistan. She, can, can I just ask a serious yeah. question on that? Does anyone actually out there care? Like, well, seriously, I want to know if anyone actually cares about the White Ferns. I know we're told we... Sh- and I know we're covering, I get that, and we've got contractual rights to it, and I get that. But uh, in all seriousness, I just want to ask that question. We're told we should care. Do people care? I just want to know. You can and don't, don't, don't be derogatory about it. This is not about hating on women or anything like that. I'm just genuinely curious if there is genuine interest in the women's game. Uh, yeah, anyways, SNZ will have live coverage of it from 12.30 on Sunday afternoon if you want to tune into that. England captain Owen Farrell won't be available for this season's Six Nations Championship after deciding to take a break from international rugby. Farrell's club Saracens said his decision had been made in order to prioritise his, his and his family's mental well-being. Saracens added that the 32-year-old Farrell would continue to play for them and captain the Premiership Club. Uh, and England Test captain Ben Stokes has undergone surgery to address problems with his left knee. Stokes is aiming to regain fitness in time for England's five-match Test series in India in January. The 32-year-old all-rounder was unable to bowl in the summer's final three Ashes Tests and only featured as a batter at the World Cup in India. Those are your headlines, Water. Okay, 22 minutes away from one o'clock. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. I'm getting grief because I've asked a question. Whether there is interest in women's cricket. I asked a question yesterday. Is there interest in the men's game still? I think they're fair, legitimate questions. This is a sports show, man. I'm going to ask those questions. You know, people wonder why no one listens anymore, mate, because no one actually says anything because everyone's too damn scared to say anything. Yes, we're the rights holders. Do people, are people interested in women's cricket? Are people interested in men's cricket? Is there the same interest there was a few years ago? That's all I'm asking. It's a real simple question. Okay, I'm personally don't have a problem with any of it. Hi, Donald. I know. Okay, uh, Stu Dempsey, never heard of him. Okay, uh, Google Stu Dempsey. We'll take a break. Joe, now I did jump over the top of that news headline. What was the reason? Because someone did want to know, what was the reason Amelia Kerr wasn't available? Oh, she's uh, playing in the women's uh, uh, Big Bash League final. So, so, yeah, see, see, I just don't agree with that at all. I've just gone on about Kane Williamson. I think the little black mark is sometimes these players put in IPL of Test cricket and the lack of build-up. And, I, you know, Amelia Kerr, you're playing for your country, play for your country, over playing in the Big Bash League. I, I'm sorry, I just struggle with that one. 
And so if I'm going to be consistent, I have been consistent with the men on this, I'm going to be consistent with the women on it. Uh, someone texting in saying, what I, I recall uh, Glenn Turner for some reason not making himself available for New Zealand for a period of time, possibly regarding money as he had a contract in which Yeah, he wanted to see the players getting paid. And that's why he didn't play for a long time. Yes, Watto, people watch women's cricket. The WBBL has been fantastic. Cut the casual misogyny, mate. They're very talented athletes. Oh, so, okay, so I criticise women's sport. I'm a misogynist. I have spent the entire 12, two years talking about the lack of interest now in men's rugby. I ask the same question, is there the same interest in men's cricket? I'm the first person who jumps up and down and is happy to talk about women's swimming and women's athletics, but apparently I'm a misogynist. Then we get people asking why we don't cover sport, more women's sport. And that's exactly the reason, because the moment, the moment you ask a hard question, the moment you critique them, I'm labelled a misogynist. Greg's texting, did not know it was on, won't go, won't watch, don't know the Pakistan team, and it's low priority. Look, I won't, I, I, I don't watch the test cricket between Bangladesh and New Zealand for the same reasons. There's a lot of men's cricket I won't watch. There's a lot of cricket I will watch. The question I'm actually asking is, and it's, a, and it's right across the board, and it happens to be cricket yesterday and cricket today, and I'm not asking about, again, the women's game. I ask the same question about the men's game. Is there that same interest? Is there interest in it? Is there interest in rugby that there once was? And I'll argue there's not. I think the sporting landscape is in, I'm not sure which direction it's going to end up taking. I really don't. We've got so many different platforms, so many different sports now. The traditional sports, we're not getting bums on seats. Who turned up to watch the Kiwi Rugby League test against Australia where we won 29-0? That should have been a sellout. It wasn't. And so I'm not signalling out, and it's easy, isn't it? I'm not signalling out women's cricket when I ask the question. It's a question I ask a lot about a lot of sport. Hi, Scott. Hey, Roddo, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, you actually took a, a bit out of what I was going to say there, and uh, obviously with the the crowd numbers at home for most sports in New Zealand, I mean, obviously take away the Warriors crowd last year, um, but you look at all the other sports that have gone on, exclude the the World Cups, um, but just domestic sport wise, um, it, it is a struggle um, to get people to men's or women's at the end of the day, um, you know, and and I think all the organisations need to look at ways that they can, um, you know, help get people back to the grounds and, and that sort of thing, make it more affordable and more, you know, accessible because it is it is tough out there for people at the moment. Um, you know, trying to take a family to to a game if it's gonna cost eighty to hundred bucks for tickets and you're there for a good few hours, yeah, you're gonna need um, you know, food and, and possibly transport costs on that getting there as well. So it does mount up very quick. So that side of things doesn't help. And in terms of the um Woman side of things. If, if you had said probably ten years ago, um, I would have said no. I probably I wouldn't really watch um, women's cricket or or women's football. Uh, cricket and football are two of my main sports. And uh, but I think now uh, the skill level it's it's evolved to make it a more exciting product. Um, whether you know, I, I would watch every game. I can't say I would, but that, uh, like you, it's it's the same with the men's the T20 cricket, for example. Um, you know, if I've got nothing else to do, then I might watch it, but I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it because, you know, to me, it's it's not proper cricket, so it's not a huge major interest to me. Whereas, you know, a, a test at home against England or, or Australia or over there against one of them, yep, I'd go out of my way yeah. to watch it and. 
obviously the white ferns, you know, if they're playing Australia or England or someone around yeah. those sort of lines, and I, definitely. And, and I think that's it. I think if the white ferns are playing Australia and England, there's probably generally more interest from me personally in it. But I think where wins cricket have lost a lot of their interest is the fact that, again, they took it from a mainstream platform and put it on Spark. And I think for the last two or three years, we've got into habits of no longer having to watch it or wanting to watch it or needing to watch it. And so, um, you know, I don't think they've helped themselves. I think, again, the biggest problem with why a lot of people are not watching sport live now, I just don't think these sports organisations are particularly good at endearing themselves to the fan and making it about the fan. I don't think the game day experience is particularly good either. And we've only got so much disposable income and we're not just into sport now. We're happy to spend our money elsewhere in terms of um, getting our entertainment. No, exactly, and and that's the thing. It's it's changed so much over time. I know when I was a youngster, you know, you had these were your main sports, and um, basically that was it. But you know, a lot's changed over that time. There's there's more sports available. You know, you've got more access to different sports as well, which means people's interests aren't going to be always there with the traditional sports that they once were. And, um, you know, if, if you don't make it about the fans, and I know you said, I think it was yesterday, about um, Klopp saying about the uh, um, the fans, the fans, and, and, you know, being a football person as well, I, I know that that's what you hear from a lot of those managers, and as a lot of people said as well, uh, same thing with Cameron George. It's, it's about the fans. Yeah. If you make it about the fans, people will come and they'll watch. Yeah. You've got to make it invitational. It can't just be transactional, and I think that's something that we're sports failing at the moment. Hey, uh, lovely. Been a really nice hour. Thank you. Really nice way, Scott. Thank Thanks. you. Appreciate it. Nine minutes away from Thanks, one o'clock. Bro. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. And I like this one. It comes from Gary of Upper Hardy. He says, yep, I'm a fan of the White Ferns and the Blaze. Head off every season to Basin to watch. Yeah, it's not the same as the men's, and the quality isn't the same level, but it's okay watch. And I think that's a really nice thing. Like, you know what the most exciting event I'm looking forward to in 2024? It's actually the women's 400 metres at the Olympics in the pool, freestyle. Ariana Titmus, Katie Ledecky, Summer McIntosh of Canada. That's the event I'm looking forward to the most. Bevan. How you going? Good, how are you? Yeah, good. Um, I just want to touch on, you sort of mentioned about um, supporters or following sport and stuff in New Zealand. Yeah. I, I think in general, and this will probably cause a bit of flack, but I think we're just lazy <laughs> when it comes to supporting sport. I don't think... Especially when it comes to getting to stadiums and stuff like... I've been... I've worked in corporate for... I was in corporate for about 15 years. We would often have tickets, particularly for super games, NPC games, that sort of stuff. You couldn't give them away. People no. always had a reason that they couldn't make it. Yeah, and look, and I think... Like it's just, um, we had... We got a family pass last year. We live in the Waikato. We got a family pass for the Chiefs game. We double booked and we ended up away one weekend. I had two adults, two kids to go and sit in the grandstand to watch one of the Chiefs games. Chiefs were going well last year. Couldn't find anyone that would take them. Yeah, look, and I think public transport's an issue. I think you're right. Getting there, I don't think the game day experience is great. I don't think the food's great. Um, yeah, and you're right. I think we are probably just a little bit lazy, but I don't think it helps when there's no tribalism around sport. And I think organisations other than the Warriors haven't done enough to create tribalism and, and, and you know, make it invitational rather than just a transactional sort of um, yeah. uh, experience. Certainly, I like, I'm 40 or in my 40s. 
and I, I certainly remember even early teens when it was NPC, so you would get to, you would go and watch Waikato and stuff. It was everyone was a hell of a lot more passionate about watching Waikato NPC than they are about watching the Chiefs, as an example. And it was there was very much that um, that was was your team, but then at the same time, I think you guys have touched on it already. There wasn't as much to watch either, <laughs> like. You know, we weren't spoiled for choice to the same as what we are now. Um, I followed cricket religiously until it's, it switched to Spark Sport because we live rural and our internet's terrible. Um, and I didn't even bother getting Spark Sport, and so it, which I was gutted about because you, you just sort of lose touch with how so much of our, of our domestic cricket was going. So that was a shame for me. And I... And I think a lot of people probably lost touch with New Zealand cricket because of that. Yeah, look, Bevan, look, I just think we've moved on from this mentality of rugby racing and beer. There are a lot more sports now. But I think also, you know, we are into outdoors. We are into other things. You know, when I was growing up, wine was not a thing. Food really wasn't. Cuisine wasn't really something that people sort of dabbled in. And they are little things. And they, those little things start to encroach, you know. And then, and as you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't want to pick up the spark thing to watch the cricket. And so what you do is you actually just form new habits, don't you? And yep. then you suddenly so realise, actually, I can, I can live without it. Yeah, and you don't even, like, I could have named the Northern Districts team in my early 20s because you watched it all the time. I couldn't tell you who played in our... Well, we, Shit, this is how bad it is. It was how Big Bash called in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah but that's exactly right, Bevan. You know, I was told earlier that uh, um, Ravindra opened the batting Wellington. See, I didn't know that until I was told that some weeks back. There would have been a time where I would have known all of that, like you. I would have understood first-class cricket. But things have changed. Lovely to have you on the programme, Bevan. Thank you. It is three minutes after one. We were going to play some music, but we're just going to launch into this bad boy. Uh, Brad Lewis is going to join us in studio in one moment. Uh, Some interesting news coming out of Wellington, the Wellington Rugby Union. I want to have this chat because it's something that we have addressed previously, and I think it's a really good move. I think it's the only move, and I think it's a way of possibly um, rugby helping to maybe reconnect with the public. So we will have that conversation. Uh, we are just trying to get back one of our callers too that we just ran out of time with, Dingo Dave. So we might just hold off on Dingo Dave. We'll just do Brad first, um, Joe, and then we'll go to Dingo Dave. Without further ado, let's welcome... All the way uh, from West Auckland. Yeah, How are you, mate? All right? Good, mate. Hey, um, you came in. You, you said to me that there's a bit of a story that's come out of Wellington Rugby next year affecting MPC. Who would have thought this? And yeah. right now, audience. Yeah, um, the very the very great Adam Cooper from the New Zealand Herald, former colleague of ours. Uh, great man, Adam Cooper. <clears throat> very good human being. Uh, reporting the Wellington Lions are poised to exit Wellington's main sporting venue and downsize their home for MPC matches. Uh, they're in talks with the Potiroa City Council about um, staging Farah Palmer Cup and NPC games at Jerry Collins Stadium um, from next year and beyond. Yeah, and I watched one of the games this year from Jerry Collins Stadium. It might have been against North Harbour. Thoroughly entertaining. I love the fact the crowd were up so close and personal. I watched North Harbour play at Onywood Domain this year. Found a similar thing. Auckland took a game to Bell Park in Pakaranga. Now, when you look at the lack of crowd numbers for NPC... Um, this makes sense. Yeah. We've got unions that are bleeding. We've got clubs that are desperate for facilities. Yes, we want to have our shop window. Yes, we want to have our NPC sites, but not at the expense of every other form of the game. 
I remember years ago, Brad, emceeing the Auckland Rugby Awards and I was talking to the then finance manager who said, look, Mark, we're really hoping that we get a home semi-final and we get Canterbury to Eden Park this week. But it will cost us $100,000. So you could sort of see, but at the same time, we wouldn't be disappointed if we didn't have to host because yeah. we wouldn't lose that amount of money. And the reality is, I mean, what, what's it cost to open Eden Park? 60, 70K before you start? Yeah. And, and, and you're not getting people in, are you? No, you're and not. You, and, and as Chris Ratty from The Herald once described it, it's a cemetery with chips. <laughs> and cold chips too. And cold chips. Uh, yeah, look, the, the CEO of Wellington Rugby, Tony Giles, was just saying, look, we're looking at ways to, um, to, to complete this move moving forward. It's just not feasible for us to continue and, or our stakeholders playing at, um, at Sky Stadium. So uh, I wonder if this is the start, as sort of you mentioned, uh, of a domino effect of other teams following suit. Like I, I know Canterbury have a really nice, Christchurch has a beautiful stadium that's going to be built. And I think f- in the short term, a lot of Cantabrians are going to go and go and watch their team play there. But I just think in the long term, uh, Canterbury might be the exception to the rule because they tend to get, you know, eight to 10,000 to, to a lot of the well, NBC games. Hawke's but, Bay and Bay of Plenty do yeah, too. I mean, Hawke's Bay get, and Bay of Plenty get good crowds. Yeah, but uh, I think, is, do you think the thing in that is that they're not super rugby franchises? Like they're, yep. they're part of super rugby franchises, but there's not, it's not the Hawks Bay Hurricanes. So the Magpies now, are what they get. But you also look at the grounds down there in McLean Park. They're just so accessible. You yeah. can walk there. It's part of the community, isn't it? I just had a call. I was talking. We were just talking generically, not just about cricket the whole lot, about why people aren't turning up to watch live sport anymore. And there's some of the factors they build in. But I think the other thing is, Brad, you know, we, we've said this, and I've said this for a long time, I think we've moved rugby from a model of being rugby fans to all black fans Intentionally or unintentionally, I think that's where it sits now. It's all about the All Blacks. And I think there is no longer that connectedness with the fans to the degree there once was. And I think by taking MPC back to the smaller venues, I think you do take it to the communities. Yeah. I think you make it a lot more accessible. I think you bring a little bit more of a, um, a suburban regional feel to it. And I think this is a really good step in re-engaging with the public. I agree. Uh, there's a note here, actually, Watto, uh, where... Um there's a note from Adam saying that Pororua Park benefited from the FIFA Women's World Cup this year in terms of upgrade facilities. And it got me thinking about the Auckland A-League franchise. Uh, I fear for that franchise if they're based at Mount Smart Stadium or Go Media Stadium, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, why not take make the most? Like the, the club that I play for, Waitakere Rangers, they've just spent millions of dollars on upgrading their facilities um, because they had teams playing there. And, like, why not make the most of that and go into these Auckland clubs and... I don't know, try and form a relationship with, with, with Rangers, try and form a, a relationship with Seattle 2 Football Club, try and form a relationship with Only Hunger Football Club and play one game a season at that venue. Like, yeah. I, I think it could work. Yeah, and my, my boy also plays for West Coast Rangers. West Coast Rangers, right. Yeah. And we've actually, he's formerly Waitakere, uh, yes. formerly Waitakere, one of the great clubs, but they have merged and we've played each other this year. Um, but I have also have Jaden, my little guy, going and playing basketball at at Waitakere, yeah. at, at um, is it Waitakere Stadium? At the, yeah. The, yeah, Trust Stadium there yeah. where they do a lot of the netball. You go next door to the Graham Douglas field there yeah. where they have a lot of the track and field. They've done the same thing with the FIFA. Yeah. That pitch in the middle of that 400-metre track pristine. is stunning. Yeah. And they actually have a grandstand and they actually have a facility for corporate catering. And I just looked at that and I thought, you know what, even Super Rugby NPC would be ideal here. It comes down to then parking and accessibility beyond Park that. your egos, folks. 
this is the thing that rugby needs to do. I think our big billionaire buyer of the Auckland A-League franchise need to do. You don't need to play at a big stadium. Like, if you can get two to 3,000 packed into a little community stadium that might have one little grandstand, it's going to look great optics-wise for television, and it's just going to be... It's going to, it's going to create good atmosphere. Well, I remember being at the... It was the London Olympics, and I had a bit of time, and I went and watched the hockey. And what they'd done with the hockey, they put a beautiful hockey venue in, as you need to, like a turf, which you need to for the Olympics. But the stadium itself was actually just made of, um, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, a, a grandstand. Yeah, what's the stuff that you put around houses when you... Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah I know, it's just scaffold. Scaffold. Yeah. So it's just basically made of scaffolding. Sorry, I'm just having a mental block. <laughs> Me it was just basically made of scaffolding, and it had a capacity of about 8,000. Yeah. But, man, it worked. It just had this buzz and this feel about it. Yeah. And I just thought... It doesn't it look great on TV? Yeah. And the smaller the group, the more atmosphere. And what atmosphere does, it creates the experience. And I've yeah. said this, Brad, what rugby needs to do in sports, rather than just being transactional, let me take your money, yeah. it needs to be invitational. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, let's be honest. Eden Park number one should be now reserved for the odd Warriors game here or there, the All Blacks uh, and um, T20 and ODI cricket. That should be the only thing. And even ODI cricket out of stretch is probably, is, is probably stretching it these days awful. as well. It's a T20 ground at best because yeah. it's small and short and it's conducive to that, but yeah. it's a dreadful cricket ground. I mean, yeah. the Eden Park number two is actually a better option. But, I, th- but you know, I, this is going to happen right across the board. I yeah. mean, the best playing cricket grounds now, Mount Maunganui, aren't they? Yep. Um, University you know, I'd Overland, see, I'd Dunedin, love to see Molyneux Queen, Park and Alexandra being t- Queenstown. Done, yeah. I mean, our first game this Sunday, Steve Davey, Warren Lees with the commentary, uh, White Ferns versus Pakistan, that's been played at University Oval, beautiful ground in Dunedin. It is. Mm. What's the weather forecast? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Steve um, I, I was talking to Steve last night. He goes, Brad, the... Uh, forecast is not the best do we have some rain delay content i'm like yeah mate we're sorting that out for you but he did he did um he did say that it's on the up so uh he's hoping the the forecast clears and we can get some uh cricket and what time does that start one o'clock one o'clock yep 50 over gamers or 20 20, it's 20 t20 t20 to kick off the summer black caps mark only playing three odis at home this summer oh good yeah. Um, well, not good. 40, I think it's 14, uh, th- uh, 12, 12 T20. Oh, to be honest, mate, I'd rather have, to be perfectly honest, I'd rather have one-day cricket than T20 cricket. That's me personally. Yeah. But there's got to be some meaning to it. What's the jeopardy? What does it all mean? Mm. You know, what, what What if we lose? What's the jeopardy in it? You know what I mean? The All Blacks lose. Stakes. Well, the All Blacks lose. It's a pride thing. It's a history thing. It's a percentage-winning thing. It's They just don't lose. But what do we... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a big pro wrestling fan, as you know, Mark. And the big thing that pro wrestling fans are into is what are the stakes? What's at risk here? Why am I getting invested into yeah. the storyline? It's the same thing for sport. What are the stakes? The stakes for the All Blacks are plain and simple. It's uh, it's like you said, it's legacy. And that's what same the Warriors. There's no easy game in the Warriors. You can't drop every game as important in terms of making the regular Correct. season. And now they've actually jumped on that model of being very fan orientated, and they've got the model right. And it's the Premier League this year. There's five teams all within three points of each other. Every mm. game right now has major stakes to it. And, and you, as I say, it's Premier League. We we sit there every week, don't we? God, we drop two more points. God, another draw. We can't do that. How does City go? And we're looking at it. Yeah. But I just look at, you know, someone said to me, okay, well, the Cricket World Cup, the one day format. Do you like it? Is it? Too, I see. But what's the alternative? And that's the thing, isn't it? What is the alternative? I don't want a T cricket. Problem with T twenty cricket is one player can take it away from a team. Yeah. Test cricket you gotta have seven or eight firing, don't you? Yeah. Over the course of five days. One day cricket yeah. you've got to have a still a critical mass of players performing. Yeah. T twenty, one or two players. That's it. And that's it. Mm. 
you know, outside, oh, we're going off on a tangent here, but it's a good discussion. I'll open the line shortly. But see, cricket, the most exciting thing in cricket at the moment is baseball. Yes. The shift in the way of thinking. England have adopted it. Yep. But you are starting to see, New Zealand's still fairly conservative, but you are starting to see a little bit of a shift. Tim South is slightly more aggressive than Kane Williamson from a captaincy standpoint. He comes from the Callum Mould. He was one of McCullum's uh, quote-unquote boys. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, I would... And that's the type of cricket I like. Like, I'm not a fan of England cricket, Mark, but I really but, enjoy but, the way they play test cricket but, at the moment. But because of the history of the Ashes, there is jeopardy, isn't there? Yeah. And so there are consequences. Yeah, every ball and, in and that we series felt... consequences. Yeah, every ball in that series felt like there was something happening. And like, it's become uh, almost like state of origin. Are you pro-Aussie or are you pro-England? But that's what I'm looking forward to. What am I looking forward to in cricket? Yes, I'm looking forward to New Zealand playing a Boxing Day test in three years. Yeah. To me, our greatest and a four-test series. Yeah, yeah, to me, our greatest. Oh, look, and don't get me. I'm going to look forward to Australia come here in February yep. and also South Africa. Don't get me wrong, I will. Um, but you know, the greatest achievement for me for New Zealand cricket is winning the series in Australia in 1985. Mm-hmm. That is our greatest achievement. Yep. You know, series win in England in '99, great. The odd victory over there in the day, but that is it, isn't it? You're looking forward to that. But in between, for me, it's the Ashes. Yeah. Why? Why? Why am I suddenly interested in England and Australia? And it's history. the reason you said history and jeopardy and stakes. Yeah. And, and New Zealand and other countries have to find a way of somehow capturing that. Would you? And, and that's why I don't have a problem with controversy, mate. Controversy is a good thing because it can create a rivalry. On that note, would you say then that the one rivalry that's kept the passion for the All Blacks up is the Springboks rivalry because it feels like every game against the South African rugby team has something. Yeah. on it because of the history and the respect between those yeah. two countries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think England still exists for us. I think Australia is starting to... It was there once. It was. And there is a danger that it's now becoming a little bit like oh, Australia this week. God, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's got to... I don't know. There's so much to choose from now, eh? You've, mm. you've got to have some sort of... I don't know, level of anxiety associated with it. Not that I need any more anxiety in my life. You don't. You don't no, worry. I don't. No, I don't. So, yeah, uh, boutique grounds. I'm all for it. Uh, good story there from Adam Cooper from New Zealand Herald. Um, 100%. This is what I like. I want to see this moving forward. You're right. Auckland Rugby take note, uh, you know. Yeah, and Sky Television, build your scaffolds, get your cameras in there, and don't say, well, look, this is not conducive to us. Make then, it work. Make it work. You've done schoolboy rugby well by just building scaffolds at schools. This is, the, unfortunately, the reality of MPC. Take it back to the people, and then hopefully in time, yeah. They come. And Douglas Field and Waitakere, not a bad stadium, Auckland. Yeah, it Not a bad right. stadium. Yeah. It's not a bad bit of a scaffolding, a few more seats. It can work. Even the little stadium, even that little stadium out the back of Mount Smart, the oh, number yeah, the, two. Yeah, the number two. Yeah, that's where the All Blacks train. It's gorgeous out there. Yeah, they do a lot at Douglas Field. But I yeah. tell you what, one thing I will say, the legacy of FIFA, some of those grounds are beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. They yeah. are stunning. Yeah, beautifully laid. Beautifully yeah. laid. Indeed. Hey, thanks, Brett. Thanks, Watto. Telephone numbers 0800 150 is the number. So rugby, Wellington looking to take the initiative. Take it out of the big stadiums. It's just economic sense. Take it to the smaller grounds. I'd actually be happy if Auckland, being an Auckland fan, so I'm only speaking as an Auckland fan, that we didn't actually have any one particular ground. Every week they took it to a different club in Auckland, and that was the home ground. So you give up an established ground, i.e. give up a home advantage, but at least you get a level of engagement. At least you're saving some money. At least you're taking it to the public.
0800-150-811 is the number. If you do want to text the program, you can uh, phone the program too on 0800-150-811. Sorry, text double eight double three. Um, and a couple of the other points we were talking to earlier, we were just sort of asking some questions around um, interest in sport these days. And I sort of, and it probably came out the wrong way. I said, is anybody interested in the women's cricket? But I'd asked the question yesterday, is there anybody interested in the men's cricket? Is there anyone interested still in Super Rugby to the same degree? And so I wasn't, I wasn't picking on women's cricket as such. I was just asking the question that I've asked of a lot of sport lately. Is there interest? Do people care? Like, I'm pretty sure if Bangladesh were playing this test series in New Zealand at the moment, I don't think I'd be overly engaged in it. I'm not sure it would be appointment viewing for me. 0800 150811 is the number. Uh, is Kane Williamson our best cricketer, best batsman? I, I still think technically the best I've seen is Martin Crow. I think if you put him in today's environment on the conducive wickets, neutral umpires, DRS, um, smaller grounds, um, maybe the science that we have around rehab and everything else, uh, the fact that, you know, probably paid, etc. I think Martin Crow would have scored 30 plus hundreds. Lines are open, taking your calls. Uh, 22, uh, 23, coming up to 23 minutes after 1 o'clock, 0800 150811 is the number. You are listening to SCNZ, Mark Watson with you. Uh, now, prior to 1 o'clock, we had Dingo Dave call through and we just ran out of time. We said we'd phone him back. We've got him. Thank you, Dave, for waiting and thank you for being so understanding. Thank you. Um, I thought you'd like to know a couple of things when I was living in New Zealand. I watched a international game, New Zealand versus uh, an international team, and they had the best in the world. They had um, South African, the Barlows, the um, Cotton Plant, um, you name it. And uh, Richie Beno. Yep. It was unbelievable. Yeah, look, I, I, I think if you get big names, and you've got names within a sport, which I think have within the sport are well known, and then you have those names that transcend and go across all sport. I call them brand athletes. And I think that is where sport, if you get that, you will get crowds. You get, I think, part of the reason the NRL is successful is because you've got brand athletes on the opposition that are worth seeing, not just the players within your own team. I think it's where Super Rugby have come up short in the fact that there is so much rest and rotation that we don't get the good players every week. And I think that you know the era and the time that you're talking about, Dave, is was a golden time. You know, sport wasn't thrown at you; it was quality over quantity. Yep, and. We had uh, South Africans, John McGlue, who was the captain, South Africa. Um, the Pollocks, as I've said, Graham Pollock. Yeah, great Graham Pollock, yep. Son Sean yeah, Pollock, of Colin course, had Bain, a very successful the best career. fielder. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Richie Benoit, and um, oh, it was unbelievable. And the one last thing I'd like to say, and you remember the great Bobby Simpson, Aussie yes. captain? Yep, yep, coach and coached Australia, yep. 
He, he said the only fast bowler he was scared of was Gary Bartlett from New Zealand. Yeah, Gary Bartlett, boy, that just before my time, to be honest. Yeah, well, I followed it um, for a long time, and he said he was scared of Gary Bartlett. Yeah, I think he also said, um, I think Richie Benoit described Pukekura Park in New Plymouth as the nicest cricket ground anywhere in the world. He did. He did. And um, always remember, I'll be very quick, um, he bowled with that international game to fast bowler Dick Motts. Yep. Crafting for two sixes. And then Benno got him caught on the boundary. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because Dick Motts was one of the great fast bowlers for New Zealand. Fell on a few hard times, didn't he? I think living in Christchurch. And um, I did. remember reading and an article his, on, on the great Dick Motts, yeah. Yeah, his son was killed, unfortunately. Yeah, oh, look, I don't wish that upon anyone, mate. I mean, that would just be... No. Yeah, that is just... I just don't know how you could ever recover from that, mate. No, I just wouldn't even want to think about it. I, I just don't wish and that upon Dick anyone. Motts Dick Motts was a hell of a nice man. Yeah, yeah. No. Hey, Dave, lovely to have you on the program, mate, and thank you for um, allowing us to phone you back and thank you for being so patient. It no is, problem. It is, yeah, thank you. 27 minutes after one, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. Uh, some texts that have come in, Roos related. Um, I can't say I've ever forgiven Sky for snubbing Crow's award presentation at Eden Park. Yeah, was that during the World Cup in 2015, was it, Ken? I'm not sure. That's when Marty was... I got to know Martin a little bit later on, and that's not the reason I'm saying I think Martin Crowe's technically the best batsman. I was lucky enough to watch him play his debut in a one-day cricket match against Australia at Eden Park in about 1980. It was the return series, I think, from the underarm incident, straight out of Auckland Grammar School. Um, but just, yeah, just best, nicest and most... Technically, best batsman I've seen come out of New Zealand. I don't think Williamson's far behind him. It's probably not a lot in it. I just want to put the question out there. Um, Hagley Oval, proper cricket ground, biggest boundaries in the country. That comes from Rob. Yeah, they've done a nice job at Hagley Oval, haven't they? And it hasn't impeded too much on Hagley Park. And it's a nice cricket ground. I'd just like to see the wicket do a little bit more down there. Mark, the product, the reason people aren't watching, taking games to smaller grounds won't fix the problem. It's still going to be 2,000 people on a smaller ground. Uh, what does Paul say here? Um, in smaller ground with the same rubbish, broken product. Yeah, but I, I actually think the quality of rugby in the NPC was actually really good, to be honest. I think what is holding NPC back is that we just don't have our All Blacks playing in it. I, I just hate this whole rest and rotation. I hate our players being wrapped in cotton wool. We've just got to have more of our marquee players playing in the NPC. It's actually a really good quality of rugby. It really is. Okay, it might only be 2,000 people in a small ground versus 2,000 people in a big ground, but at least it creates an atmosphere. And don't underestimate atmosphere providing part of the actual game day experience. But you've got to invite people in, haven't you? And I'll say this, and I think a lot of sports organisations have fallen into this trap. Everything has been transactional, not invitational. 29 minutes after one, text us here on double eight double three. We'll take a break. We'll come back with some sports headlines. Uh, we've got a TAB catch-up. Uh, just a reminder too, and we've had a lot of calls today, really good, it's been great. We've got a dozen Castle, uh, Castle beers to give away, thanks to our mates at Castle Brewery Company, award-winning flavour, freshness quality. Uh, call of the day, we'll get 
two dozen beers in time for summer. And also just if you're thinking about maybe travelling, check out the Flight Centre. They've got their big red sale on at the moment. Now, limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now with Big Save. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Now, check out the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Just reminder, bet safely. Must be 18 years of age and over. While you're there, check out all the odds, promos, boosted odds. Again, at the Grand Tour Hub, tab.co.nz. Speaking of which, Paul Moati from the TAB joins us. G'day, Paul. G'day, Mark. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Quiet time of year. We're sort of in that transition, aren't we? Cricket just about to gear up. Well, I think we're probably all a little bit relieved the rugby season's over. So, in saying all of that, where is the focus these days at the TAB? This time of year, where are people tending to have a wee flutter? Well, most of them head stateside because uh, we're right in the middle of the NFL. So in fact, we're getting towards the business end of the NFL season. Of course, the NBA uh, continues on. They've got their in-season tournament uh, going on as well, just to add a wee bit more spice to the NBA season. And of course, golf-wise, uh, over in Australia at the moment, the Australian Open... Um, day one is underway right now and of course it's the men's and the women's uh, Australian Open playing on the same courses uh, at the same time so yeah there's plenty of action going there and there's a bit of uh, I guess Kiwi interest uh, in that Australian Open on the men's side of course we've got the likes of Daniel Hillier and Ben Campbell in fact I'm looking at a leaderboard right now I can see Ben Campbell uh, at three under through 11 at the moment, currently in a tie for 13th. Um, Aussie Cam Davis currently leads at seven under through 14. Um, last week's winner, Minwoo Lee in the Australian PGA, he's in a tie for third at the moment, five under through 16. So his hot form continues on. Of course, his sister is the favourite to win the Women's Australian Open. She's currently two under through 15 uh, and in sitting in fifth place at the moment. So looking very, very good there uh, for a, a Lee family, uh, I guess, um, what double in the men's and women's Australian Open. Yeah, yeah, what are some of the little side bets you can have on in golf? Um, I, I guess before um, the tournament start, you can, uh, the bookies put out all sorts of power plays um, and you can take, uh, I guess, a number of golfers either to win or to finish in the top five or ten. Um, so punters do enjoy that at the moment. I'm just having a look at the live odds as we speak and Cam Davis has moved into favouritism um, at the top of the market there to win the Aussie Open. He's at $2.88 at the moment. Uh, Minwoo Lee uh, at $4.50. Uh, and then we're down to Adam Scott at $15. So, yeah, there's plenty of action and plenty of interest because we get uh, very good coverage of the Australian Open uh, over here in New Zealand. So there's a great opportunity for punters to keep an eye on the action and have a bit live. Yeah, look, now, mate, gearing up again, we're back into... We are back, aren't we, into English Premier League football this weekend. Some big games. My mob in action, I think, a Monday morning New Zealand time. Liverpool taking on Fulham. Plenty of interest in plenty of interest in the football. 
Yeah, it certainly is. Of course, we saw some UEFA Champions League this morning where Manchester United unable to get the job done against Galatasaray. Uh, that game ending in a three-all draw. Of course, they take on Newcastle. They travel uh, up north to take on the Geordies. Uh, the New- Newcastle are favourites there. And maybe they might just catch a jaded Manchester United, although Newcastle also involved uh, in the Champions League as well. They're $1.91 favourites, uh, the Geordies. Man U at $3.60. Uh, action for Newcastle, although we've taken a wee bit more money on Man U in that head-to-head market than we've taken on Newcastle at the moment. Arsenal have been very uh, well-backed against Wolves. They're a $1.25 favourite uh, there. I'm just having a look at the Monday games. Liverpool in a number of multis at a dollar twenty-two, and Man City uh, taking on Spurs, but very, very dominant favourites, a dollar twenty-five, and um, I guess they're just scoring goals for fun at the moment, Man City, and one man in particular. So yeah, dollar twenty-five on Man City. The most popular team at the moment, punting-wise, this weekend in the English Premier League. Okay, Paul, have you got a tip? And we're not going to hold you to it. Yeah, look, there's a uh, a meeting at uh, a thoroughbred meeting at Ortaki today, um, and I can tell you, there's one that they have backed in race four, which is around half an hour away. Number eight, Colorado Silver, second favourite now into five dollars. But they started um, having a go on uh, this runner yesterday when the market opened. So Colorado Silver in race four at Ortaki, um, into $5 now, but we're still taking money on Colorado Silver. Now, Paul Mawadi, lovely to catch up, mate. Good man. You enjoy tomorrow. You enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you. Uh, check out all the odds, promos and boosted odds at the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Bet safely. Beat 18 years of age and over. It is 20 minutes away from 2 o'clock. Would like to just try and take a little bit more talk back if we can. We sort of digressed a little bit throughout the afternoon. I've sort of asked the question about who is our best batsman in cricket. Kane Williamson clearly statistically is, uh, with 29 test hundreds, averaging 55. The best cricketer I've seen, best batsman I've seen, I think is Martin Crowe. And I think in today's environment. I think he would have scored 30 test hundreds with the wickets being more conducive. Uh, I'm not sure that the talent across the nations is as strong. The West Indies are not what they once were. Uh, I think you've got neutral umpires. You've got the DRS in place. Smaller boundaries. I think also the financial security allows players to maybe be a bit more committed. Uh, I threw Glenn Turner in there and a few people have agreed with me and a few people have gone against me. They've thrown other names in like Dempsey, Sutcliffe um, over the years. I'm talking more technical rather than. Um, oh, I think you've got to be. A comp- you can probably be slightly unorthodox and be effective, but you know, Brendan McCullum. If you're talking about the most exciting batsman, most talented batsman, you'd have him in that discussion. But you might want to text us. Jump on the phone on oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. You can text us here on double eight double three. We've also then sort of gone into again. Why are people not turning up and watching live sport? Um, and I asked a question earlier, and I, I, again, it wasn't targeted purely at, at I just having to ask the cricket around women's cricket. Who cares? Who's, who, who actually cares? And I, I didn't mean it as in picking on women's sport. I've been asking that question of who's turning up to watch Super Rugby? Why did so few people turn up to watch the Kiwi Rugby League test? Um, is there interest? Like, I don't think I'd be interested if Bangladesh were playing New Zealand at the moment in test cricket right now, me personally. Maybe in January and February I will be because... It's 
summer and I've got the beach and it's part of what I do. But I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe countries like Bangladesh for me just haven't earned that right for me just yet. If it's Australia and South Africa, which are coming here in February, absolutely, 100% behind it. So, look, there are some talking points. You can also, um, yeah, anything else you wish to discuss, 0800 150811. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Oh, yeah, little gangster. Yeah, all right, what's making news time? Uh, a cruise ship passenger has told of his horror after discovering a spider had laid eggs inside his toe, including one that hatched. Colin Blake and his wife were spending the evening in Marcel in the south of France after the ship had docked on their 35th wedding anniversary trip when his toe started to swell up and turn purple. The following day, he visited the onboard doctor who told him a Peruvian wolf spider had bitten him and laid eggs inside his toe. Wolf spiders, which are not poisonous, are often found in the French port city after arriving on cargo ships. He told a radio station that his wife uh, thought it might be because he had new sandals and they were rubbing on his big toe and that was causing it to be red. But then the doctor cut it open and the spider eggs poured out. Yeah, there are things you just... you envisage and you just hope like hell... You never, ever encounter it. Um, I'm sure it's probably not the worst thing, but from a perception point of view, absolutely terrifying, isn't it? What? Snakes, oh, I mean, spiders just biting you is terrifying. <laughs> doesn't matter what sort of spider it is, let alone laying eggs, and then those eggs basically hatching inside of you, and you're the sort of um, incubator for them. Um, it's like alien almost. It's almost, yeah. I mean, I know what it's like to have your toenails. You know, I used to do a lot of running, still do, but, you know, your toenails, you'd find you'd pull them off after a while because you get all the blood underneath and pushing and they'd swell and all the rest of it. And when you're doing big miles, that can happen a lot. But, yeah, um, yeah, not nice, is it? Well, and good news, this is a nice story. Sanitation workers in New Hampshire went digging through 20 tonnes of trash to locate a resident's lost wedding ring. Uh, the Windheim General Services Director, Dennis, said he received a call from a rubbish man who put him in touch with a resident whose wedding band had accidentally gone out with the trash. Uh, they reviewed the surveillance camera, fo- uh, camera footage and pinpointed the location of the woman's trash. He said his teammate had to dig through 12 feet of trash bags to reach the right bag. The ring was found after about two hours after the search began. He said it's the third time in two years that his team has sifted through trash at the transfer station to find a lost wedding ring. He said the last time was almost exactly one year ago. I can't believe they do it. That's so kind of them. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Oh, I heard a story about a guy who years ago he bought into um, cryptocurrency, but he's got it on a hard drive, and he accidentally threw the hard drive, or the hard drive was accidentally thrown out, or the computer was at, and he spent the last three or four years searching and scouring landfills and stuff looking for this thing because apparently it's worth an absolute small bloody fortune if you in fact can find it. Oh wow! Be like sort of throwing shears away, I guess, in Apple when Apple were just starting to emerge and it's 20 years on and suddenly you realise you're worth billions on paper but 
you don't actually have access to it. I've actually thrown out my AirPods, my Apple AirPods, like a few times, and like I've had to dig through the rubbish. I don't know why I do it. Like no, trap for young players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes I throw out like my key. I throw out my keys once. Mm. Just mm. mindless. And uh, finally, my Miami Heat star Jimmy Butler has taken a major step towards branding the viral pranky pool during NBA Media Day in October, according to trademark attorney Josh Gerben. Butler has filed to trademark the term Emo Jimbo for use on athletic apparel such as shirts, hoodies, pants, jackets, footwear, and hats. <laughs> I'll be buying that. And uh, fact of the day, we do a fact of the day, what are usually? Today's fact of the day, movie trailers were originally shown after the movie, which is why they're called trailers. Uh, the world's first movie trailer was shown at a theatre in Harlem, New York in 1914. Why do you show it afterwards? Well, the trailer, exactly. Is it just a summary for people that are not that sharp? No, honestly, it made no sense. They don't really know why they did it because the trailers shown after the film was ineffective as the audience wouldn't stay to watch it. Well, well, but I remember growing up as kids, we'd go to the movies and then we'd have interval halfway through the film. Yeah, they should actually bring interviews back. Stop, and then you'd go and get something to eat, and come back and settle in for the second half. Yeah, no, I agree. They actually should have that for like stuff like Scorsese's latest film. That's those long ones. It's three and a half hours, and you know, someone in uh, in America, uh, actually, a a few movie theaters put an intermission themselves, and they got sued by uh, like the Scorsese and the film company. Mm. Anyway, uh, I mean, movie theaters—they obsolete. Does anyone care about movie theaters? I'll ask that question. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I see, dropped my kids in the other day. My wife's a bit more. Um, my wife's. A, are we? My wife's a bit more. Um, I don't know. I'm not as protective. I'm more than happy for my kids at certain age to go off to the movies on their own. I did. I mean, we're walking, growing up in Manor, but to walk down and go to the movie theatre in Point Chev on our own. We'd take the bus into town or get dropped off and go to the movies. Only ever once did we told we couldn't go to the movies because we didn't have our shoes on. Never had that happen to me before. Went to a movie once and they said, "You guys can't come in. You've got no shoes on." I remember sitting in a movie theatre years ago um, and spilling a large cup of Coca-Cola all over Matthew Ridge, who had gone and do great things in rugby league and be an all-black at 19. Matthew was a friend of the families growing up as kids. I remember going to the movie theatre with Matthew Ridge and spinning, spilling Coke all over him. Uh, seven minutes away from two. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one is the number. Hi, Bruce. Mark. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Hey, um, you asked a question. Why, why aren't uh, New Zealand sport fans turning up to a lot of these live games and things? It, it's a, basically a, a, an association with the amount of other options. And it, if you go back to 30, 40 years, we never, had, we never had all this gaming online. We never had the amount of live um, broadcasting platforms that we have now. We are absolutely less than saturated with any type of sport you could watch 24 hours if you want to watch it on something square. Um, sure, there's, there's cost of living, all that, that comes into it as well. We're also a country of all-rounders. You know that? We've, we've all tried um, a lot of things, and we sort of spread our load. We watch a bit of this, and we sort of, I oh, know, we'll watch something else. And um, I, I think it's the whole thing. But if I think about my... When I grew up with school and kids and my three kids that are in their 20s, but, uh, honestly, there were so less things. You had family and then you committed to team, you practiced, you did all that. And that was pretty much life. If you had a part-time job, you did that. And there was TV. Yeah. And you went from one to the other to the other. But there's just so many 
I guess you call them other distractions now. And yeah. it's just a fact. Yeah, yeah, look, too much of too much of it is really the demise of it. I agree. I, I I, look, I, no, no, I agree. I remember um, Jurgen Klopp when he was complaining about how many games of football players were playing, particularly in the month of December. They even had to put two separate sides out because they had two games in two different parts of the world, saying you've got to stop throwing football at people. You've got to have quality over quantity. But I think, as you mentioned, Bruce, um, I think, and I've said this throughout the afternoon and yesterday, I think we've evolved. We're no longer just a nation of rugby, racing and beer. There are a lot more things out there that keep us amused. You know, growing up, we didn't have restaurants. We didn't have food. Cuisine wasn't an art. It wasn't a science. Wine wasn't a thing. Um, all of those are examples where people now enjoy fine dining or the cafe culture and money they spend on that is suddenly money that they're no longer spend on sport because they've only got so much disposable income. And so they say, well, you know, I'm going to get my entertainment now through going out with friends and going out to the viaduct or whatever it might be, going across on the ferry to Waiheke. Um, yeah, I, I don't think sports have helped themselves in terms of not putting their best players out on the park. I don't think major sports have done enough to endear the fans, um, and there are a whole lot of reasons for it. But it's also, as you said, like, you know, I, I think, and, and I'm genuine on this, and I know you've always got to be careful about it, but Chris Raddy summed it up, but I think particularly with a lot of women's sport is that it's it needs time to evolve. It just needs more time, and I think it's an unrealistic expectation that because, say, women pick, take up what has traditionally been a men's sport, that somehow it should be on par immediately. Um, it's got to organically grow. And so, yeah, it's, it's a real challenging time for sport. I'm not sure what the answer is either, um, but it's a hard argument when more and more sports players somehow think they should be getting paid or should be getting paid more. It's probably got to go to a point where you've got to have a lot less to actually improve. So something has to crash somewhere. Yeah, but also I think I, I, I think your, your, your broadcasters, like Sky as an example, who are the predominantly the broadcaster of sport in this country, you know, yeah, less is more, guys. You know, if you show less rugby, we'll watch it. But if I turn on and I've got saturation and I've got Northern Hemisphere rugby and then I've got rugby coming out of, say, um, the top 12 or the top, what do they call it, the French 14, the top 14, then I've got, you know, the Irish competition and then I've got sevens on and, you know, then we've got schoolboy rugby on and we've got, you know, grassroots rugby on here. It's just too much. I just get lost in it. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Yes, and unfortunately, it, you know, telecast, broadcast is all controlled by the money by these big companies, um, you know, mm. and yeah. so it makes anti-social viewing for us anyway because it's yeah. what the what? big masses want. I, I, look, I think the real challenge for um, sport going forward in a country where you've only got 5 million people is how do you make it appointment viewing? How do you make it the default setting at night? How do we get back to that? And that is the challenge. And I think one of the big things I struggle with in this country and on television is the lack of opinion-based television. Um, I think opinion creates discussion. I think that controversy creates discussion. And as long as you've got a discussion, as long as you've got controversy, people are going to talk about it. Yes, you also want to celebrate sport. Yes, you also want to make sure that um, you're not just being negative, but you've got to have all of those multiple narratives to get to keep the interest up. And unfortunately in this country, I think sports like rugby particularly 
um, through the partnership they have with Sky Television, I'm not picking on Sky because I think Sky do some wonderful stuff, um, but they are the broadcaster because they have a 5% shareholding, um, they've fallen into this trap of feeling somehow they need to be a PR firm for rugby. And I think it's to the detriment of Sky and I think it's a detriment to New Zealand rugby. Let's have the discussion. Let's get people talking again. Let's get people around the water cooler. Hey, Bruce, lovely to have you on the programme. I'll get you to stay online, mate. I think you might have just picked up the Castle Beer this afternoon for the call. So just stay there, mate. We've got some uh, Castle Beer to give away. And we did have a designated number of the number of callers coming through, and you've hit that number. So check out castles.nz for more info. Remember, drink responsibly. You must be 18 years of age and over. I'm assuming the drinking age is 18. Is it? Is it 18? Is the drinking age 18? I'm sure it is. Got a daughter who's 12, going on about 20. It'll come around quick enough, won't it? Uh, Rory's text in. I always enjoy Rory. He's quite clever, Rory. Just talking about the passenger on the cruise ship who got bitten by a, was it a wolf spider or something? And it laid eggs in his toe. Rory said, I found a wetter in my bed once. I think it was a bed wetter. Very clever, Rory. You're a talented man, Rory. You are a talented, talented man, Rory. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. After two, you are listening to SENZ Mark Watson in for Mark Stafford. We've got Joe Bell alongside of us as well, doing a wonderful job as always. Been a good afternoon, busy afternoon. Never afraid of a little niggle, never afraid of just a little, not controversy, but always never afraid to have an honest opinion. A couple of texts that have come in. Uh, Hi, good show, best cricket ground in New Zealand, Bay Oval, the home of Kane Williamson. That comes from Clive. And someone's saying the afternoon, the rugby league test was played in the wrong part of the country. It was played in Christchurch. It would have been a sellout. Yeah, I don't think taking it to Hamilton was the right move, to be honest. Also, don't think it helped the fact that the week earlier we'd been pumped by Australia. In saying that, though, with the season that rugby league has had, I would have thought we still would have got a bigger crowd for it. We don't play a lot of test matches and certainly when I was growing up and in my teenage years in the 80s, some of the biggest sporting clashes were midweek, Australia-New Zealand. When we beat Australia in league, they were moments of true nationalism. Certainly remember 1983, I think, 87, 85, the brilliance of Clayton Friend. Players like that. But yeah, we just seem to have moved on. We just seem so much more apathetic about sport now. There was just so much more of it. Maybe we just have simply matured. Look, anyway, I'm going to play an interview now that I did a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and I'm going to play the game because I think we just have a slightly different audience and a lot of people would have missed it. We've all grown up in holiday around the country. Um, we've all jumped off wharves, haven't we? We've all jumped off bridges, rightly or wrongly, jumped off cliff faces. And out of all of that, we've always had the traditional bomb. And then in more recent times, the bomb has adopted the name the Manu. 
It's a style of bomb that you do off a wharf, off a cliff, off a bridge, where you basically create a sort of a U-shape. You hit the water with your bum first. You try and create the biggest splash you can possibly do. Well, Scott Rice is an event organiser. His legacy is the New Zealand Ocean Swim Series, a very sharp boy. He was looking for his next project, and he thought, why not have the Manu World Championships? Why not have something quintessential New Zealand? It's happening. It's happening around the country, qualifying events, and then finals in the early 2024. So I caught up with Scott to find out a little bit more. Good afternoon, Mark. Lovely to be with you. Quintessential New Zealand, my good man. That's the best way of describing it. Yeah, it's part of the fabric, that's for sure. It's um, not too many spots around water over summer. If it's deep enough that someone's not going to try and jump into it, make a splash. So um, there's something very fun about doing bombs and doing manus and brings a whole lot of different people together, all ages, um, all abilities, and, and it's all positive. It's good fun. Yeah, it is, and I'm certainly not encouraging kids, but I always remember driving down through Narawa here and seeing kids jump into the Waikato River there, and I'm saying, do it with a level of risk management around you, please. I've seen people do it down there in Raglan and different spots and different wharves and uh, around the Coromandel. What is a manu? I mean, there's lots of different ways of jumping into water, diving into water. What defines a manu? A manu is essentially um, a style of bomb. So some some listeners will know of a cannonball, which is literally wrapping yourself in a ball and jumping into to make a splash. And that's what most, probably the older generation, will know of a bomb. Um, a manu is um, a Māori name for a style of bomb, which is where the arms and the legs are up in a V and the bum, kind of the, the bum goes in first into the water and then um, the person sort of collapses flat when they hit the water to kind of create that upward momentum of water uh, into the air. And it's, um, there's, there's sort of long historical roots of where, where, where the manu started, how it was named, um, and I certainly don't uh, begin to sort of claim that I know um, the absolute accurate full history of it, but um, some, some say it was born out of Mangere in South Auckland, hence the name manu, or, or Manurewa. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's been interesting to hear the stories of people that have come through our social media and, and, and contacted us about their ideas of where it came from. But essentially, nowadays, in the modern day, it is a style of bomb. Are there any street legends? Are there any sort of people walking around that are just legendary within the realm of those that were doing the manu at an ad hoc, those original pioneers, Scott, like you might see in street basketball, perhaps? I'd like to, I'd like to see them come through the ranks, actually. I'd love to see them register and take part and come and show us what they're made of and tell us their story. Um, there's, there's certainly uh, um, people, they're very proud they're very proud um, people that do manus and bombs. They're proud of them, and they we get a lot of of, of bombs shared through our um, videos of them, you know, going off their particular vantage points and platforms around New Zealand and spectacular places too. And you know, they, there's something about the height and the volume of the splash that just um, 
you know, makes them feel good and puts smiles on people's faces. Yeah, now we talk about the upward splash. So the amount of water and splash that heads upwards, mm. does that define a good manu versus a bad manu? Essentially, and, and, and you know, talking to some of the authorities of, um, of bombing in, in this country, um, you know, and, and we can get into that later, but there's, there's actually bomb clubs, you know, now. Um, there's one in the Waikato. Um, Is there? Yeah, yeah, he runs that one down there. How, how, do, you, how do you coach it? You, you, well, you know, it's just like anything. There's a technique to it, and if you um, if you break it down, you can start to work out what technique works best. But back to your original question, I mean, it's it's often been the height of the splash, the volume of the splash, and and some would argue that the third one is the sound of of the of the um, entry into the water and and the the big boom of the water going up and. That's going to be part of our judging criteria in our in our grand final. But the other one is, which has been used as sort of the creativity on what someone does in the air on the way down to the water, whether it be a backflip or a you know a cheese cutter or whatever it might be, just to entertain the crowd. Can something sometimes be another judging criteria? Uh, so, so there are you mentioned the cheese cutter. So there are there are already sort of um, other narratives around the manu. There's other little. <laughs> Technical components that you know we've got the money, we've got the tree cutter. What what are some of the other terminologies? Do you got a list there, Scotty? Oh, not not really, not really. It's just what I've seen, and, and I, I don't want to try and think that I know all of it, all of all of the names of them, because I'd probably get myself into trouble or look silly. But um, but all I know is you know there's there's some quite fun ways that people can can um, you know spend their time in the air before they hit the water. In fact, the guy that won the New Zealand bomb comp, which um, we'd worked closely with the previous organiser, Matt Lacey. But the guy that won that, um, I think it was 2017, um, in Lake Taupo, he he did a backflip off a 10-metre platform into a what we call a coffin bomb, which is where the feet kind of slide into the water first, like you're sliding into a coffin. And the back the back comes down. It's kind of what most over 40-year-olds would do. Um, and he won it, and he did a splash bigger than the whole tower. So... Yeah, and, and and that was probably what won it for him. Just just uh, you know, spectacular landing and, and nailed it. Yeah, I just love that. Hey, kids going home. Mum, mum, I did a coffin bomb. You did a what? <laughs> <laughs> but, but oh, there's the staple. There's the gorilla. There's yeah, the, the coffin. They're all funny. But names. that's the thing I love about it, isn't it? It's just a good throwback. You know, let's just get out there and have a bit of fun with it. Don't get too caught up in the names. Don't oh, get yeah. too sort of PC with the whole thing. Uh, um, okay, Scott. So uh, you, you're looking to perhaps you've mentioned some of the criteria for judging. What is the height of the springboard or the platform that they're going to go off? They vary, is the short answer. I mean, we're, we're moving around the country. We've got five qualification events across four cities. Um, so that's Christchurch. We're you know we're in Jelly Park Aquatic, which is an outdoor three metre platform. I think we've got a one and a three metre into a dive well outdoor. So we use those two there. Uh, Wellington's got their custom platform on the waterfront, um, which has uh, which is tidal. So that, that one is about four to five metres, and the top one's um, you know six and a half to eight metres on a low tide. So you know you, you've got a and I've been out there myself. And if you don't know what you're doing, by the time you get to the top, you it's a bit nerve wracking at the top there. Um, and then in Hamilton, we're using the the, the Water World, the dive tower, the Olympic dive tower there. So we we'll have sort of a one, three, and five meter option. And then Auckland, we're building a scaffolding tower on a floating pontoon in the middle of the Viaduct Harbour. 
and that's going to have a two, three, and five metre platform. So we're going to give people the option to kind of choose between. If they're younger, they'll only be able to go up to three metres. But, um, yeah, if they're good enough, they'll go off five. The thing is, Mark, is that you can go off five and you'll, 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 um, you'll really, I guess, bugger up the technique and you'll do a terrible job. Sometimes it's best to go off slightly lower platform and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. No, fascinating. Now, I want to ask you this, though, Scott. I mean, does it just natural that bigger guys or bigger people um, are going to end up winning this uh, just simply because of the size and therefore the splash they create? Or the creativity, the, crea- yep. the creativity that you've mentioned in the judging, the sound, and maybe good mm-hmm. technique. Does good technique equate to a big splash? Um, technique definitely does. I mean, it, you, you know, we've talked in the past about a golf swing. You know, you can absolutely heave it, um, and, and the ball's going to go sideways or nowhere. Um, it's kind of like a bomb or a manu, is that um, you can get smaller people nailing an amazing splash. But the bottom line is. People that are bigger have an advantage um, right from the get-go. So we took some feedback from earlier comps, and we've added like a, um, a people people when they register give us their weight class, and okay, uh, yep. much like boxing or something. And we 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 put an adjustment, automatic adjustment based on their weight. So that tries to even out, I guess, someone that is maybe 70 kilos versus someone 150 kilos. Um, to kind of make it an even playing field. So that's something we've incorporated into the, into the scoring system as well. Okay, Scott, $30,000 in cash and prizes. Entries are open, as you've mentioned, mm. five events, four cities. How do yeah. you determine who ends up making the final? Do you fly them around the country to Auckland? Uh, just talk us through maybe some of the logistics. Yeah, sure. So we have, yeah, the five qualifying events. Um, we take uh, 14 of the best from those for those qualifiers. So that is five adult male, five adult female, the winner, the winning boy and girl of the youth division and the winning boy and girl of the kids division. And they're each given some vouchers, thanks to our wonderful sponsors, Z Energy, and um, there's some vouchers to jump in the car and do the ultimate roadie. So whether they're coming from Christchurch, Wellington or Hamilton, or, or wherever, it gives them a good helping hand to get them to Auckland for the final. And so we have a total of um, 70 um, finalists that come to Auckland, um, plus there, there's yet to be announced a bit of another way that Zed have, have cooked up for a few other wild cards to come in at the finish. So we should have a total of 80 of the best um, bombers and, and Manu athletes from around the country um, having a crack for the first world title, which will be very exciting. Yeah, OK, let's talk about the judges and the judging criteria. Yes. So you've mentioned sound, you've mentioned technique, you've mentioned splash height. Yes. Uh, how many experts are there? Do we have enough judges? Is this about having an eclectic mix of New Zealanders? What's the judging criteria? Well, the, the thing with the judging is we're going technical and, and we've developed with a professor of biomechanics at AUT, Patria Hume, um, what we've called Manu Tech, which is we video every single Manu and we freeze frame at the biggest point of splash and we measure the, 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 the water, the splash height and wow, volume. Wow. And we've, then we're going to have a sound meter that measures the sound. So in fact, there is not going to be a panel of judges. Um, it's going to be this... Um, so it's AI. It's AI. It's basically AI, yeah. So we needed to get through 500-odd um, uh, registrants in Wellington, and we needed a very fair and quick way to, um, to measure them accurately to find our 14 to take up to Auckland. Now, I understand what there's yeah. going to be live television coverage of this. 
Oh, not quite live. We were heading for that, but we're, we're actually we're covering the whole event for a show to go to air on TV2 uh, oh, at the end of March. Wow. So, so that's going to be fun to sort of bring all the highlights and bring fun and the... Um, you know, and, and, and bring these winners and, and put them on a platform and celebrate them, celebrate the art of the manu, which has got so much yeah. rich history in this country. Now, when I think of the manu and I think of people jumping off bridges and stuff, um, I automatically think of everybody dressed in NRL rugby league shorts of some sort uh, or yeah. the old classic stubbies, uh, sometimes a little bit of a singlet um, over the top. Yep. Uh, is there any sort of criteria in regards to what you can wear, and and is there a, is there room for creativity like perhaps you might have once seen at the Wellington Sevens, perhaps? Well, yeah, it's kind of that mix between being responsible and sort of looking out for the water safety angle. But we've kind of said, look, you, you've got to wear some form of um, of swimwear, I guess. Um, you know, any shorts will do for the guys. Um, if they want to wear a rash shirt, they can. Um, women the same, girls the same. So, yeah, we're not wanting baggy T-shirts. We're not wanting any of that stuff. Sort of weigh yourself down when you get in the water. And the other thing, I think, is um, it's probably not going to help the size of their splash as well. So probably good for them too. Mm, yeah, I'd be fascinated to see where this is in 20 years now. I'd imagine that yeah, you're going to have the Nikes on board and... We're going to have, you know, aerodynamics kicks in at 17 kilometres an hour and it'll become a real science. Uh, you mentioned the word money. We mentioned its origins and clearly it is a strong association with Pacific and, and Māori. And how has it been received particularly yes. amongst, say, the Māori community and, and you know, or the Pacifica community? Look, it's it's um it's it's early days, you know. Um, it's new it's new for them. Um, it's it's a big deal this event and. Uh, but we've got we've got to tread carefully that we we, we respect um, its origins and and we're doing our very best to, to do that. We're not trying to take anything away from anyone. We're just wanting to celebrate what is a, a fantastic um, you know activity that Kiwis love to do. Um, so yeah, look, early stages that we've got some great entries coming in from all parts of New Zealand, all communities, and uh, I think. Um, it, it should only be positive. It's a great positive event, yep. and, and what we're, we're trying to do is just wrap a bit of, um, you know, wrap a little bit of our management experience around it. And what are you, what are you going to do to stop the Australians from stealing it, like they did with Pavlova, like they did with Crowded House, and like they've done with yeah. Russell Crowe? Yeah, well. There's a fair few Kiwis living in the Aussie, and um, I know, in fact, we've had a few people reach out from Perth, from, from the Goldie. There's already bomb comps happening over there already. So, we, we look, our, our, our uh, sort of goals, I guess, is to, is to really smash it out of the water, so to speak, year one, and, um, and look, take, take, take it further afield, take a qualifier over to Australia, take a qualifier to the island, perhaps, and take money to the world and, um, and make it a truly... Uh, world event at the moment, it's, it is a bit of a piss take market. Oh, yeah, a, yeah, but it is. Yeah. But that's how. But that's how these things evolve, don't they? I mean, you know, the uh, flat whites become a global brand, and there's no reason why the money can't. And it takes somebody like you to put a bit of structure, put some event experience around it, and celebrate something quintessential in New Zealand. And you know, and, and also take out some of the guesswork, put in some sort of the safety that perhaps might be missing at some parts around the country. So, I mean, you tick every positive box. There's thirty thousand dollars in cash and prizes. Okay, so mm. how do people enter, and what are the dates of the different events? Sure. So, yeah, manuworldchamps.com, all the details. So if you're listening and you think you're pretty handy at it, we'll go and check out the website. Uh, we kick off in Wellington last week in uh, um, January for Wellington, the qualifier there, 26th to the 28th of January. A week later, 
2nd to the 4th of February in Hamilton. A week later, 9th to the 11th of February, we're in Christchurch. Then we have a week's break. Then we start with three um, weekends, consecutive weekends in Auckland, 23rd to 25th, the first Auckland qualifier in the Viaduct Harbour. Second one is the 1st to the 3rd of March and our grand final Saturday, the 9th of March, where it'll be a whole lot of fun. Just one day of, of, of checking out you know, big screens, music, live DJs in the Viaduct Harbour um, to celebrate our best, best Manu, Manu athletes and bombers from around the country. Any gender? pretty much any age and any size? Yep, kids 10 to 12. We've kind of ruled 10 to 12 as kids. Youth is 13 to 17, adult 18 and over. Equal prize money for male and female. There's no discrepancy there. We're looking for the best woman, the best girls, as we are the guys. Um, Yeah, and they'll walk away with a little bit of cash and a bit of a crown and a robe. Um, And and probably pulled around all the radio stations as would have is what a, a legitimate because they are athletes. They're, they're incredibly talented. OK, Scott, look, I know these things are not cheap. Um, other than perhaps the radio stations you might have on board because of conflict of interest, uh, who are some of the other commercial partners? Uh, we've got um, Z Energy. They've, they've come on board. They're all about, um, you know, they want to be involved with New Zealand and fun. And this, this just ticked both those boxes so well. We've got Tip Top. Quintessential, we keep saying that word, it's a bit overused, but um, tip-top ice cream, uh, skinny mobile, snack-a-chang, old Lee Hart, funny guy. He'll be involved in some way, shape or form. Original kiwi dip, um, couldn't get much more kiwi than that. Uh, we've got all the councils across from Auckland, Wellington, Hamilton, Christchurch, Penny Corkery who have been fantastic um, development agency that have, that have helped us as well. Lumo Outdoor, um, yeah, so they're, they're, and, and also push play through Sport New Zealand and, um, and Water Safety New Zealand, which are two key elements of this, getting youth active and keeping them safe in the water. Scott Rice, been a privilege and a pleasure. We look forward to following. I've just had my producer say we want the winner on the show. <laughs> so it's the, it's the moneywheelchamps.com, guys. Do check it out. Spread the word. We want to see one of our major uh, major cities around the country. Have a little bit of fun with this. Um, it's yeah, it's very very cool. It's very unique and it's very New Zealand. And we'd love you people out there to be the original pioneers. So when this is part of the Olympic movement in 20, 30, 40 years from now, you can say <laughs> I was at the very first. And Mark, can you do a bomb? That's the big question. Can you? <laughs> I bomb at a lot of things, Scotty. I'm not sure I do a bomb. I'm just going to end up. I know me. I just end up with a massive back rash or. Yeah, to just I, I, I'd win money for the sound, and that'd be about it, mate. And it'd be ugly, <laughs> confusing ability with ambition, uh, Scott. <clears throat> yes, yes, not the first time. <laughs> no, it's not. Hey, lovely to have you in the program, Scott Rice, there, the founder of the Money World Championships, taking place at a major city near you over summertime. Looking forward to it. It'd be great to commentate, wouldn't it? And here he comes, well, Billy Bob Taylor, the man who grew up in Natawahia, dreamed of playing cricket for his country, but. After having gone off the Narawahia Bridge, he realised pretty quickly he had a natural feel for the Manu. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Twenty-nine and a half minutes after two, you are listening to SENZ. Just a reminder, we'll have a live cricket commentary for you on Sunday. Pakistan take on the White Ferns. Don't forget our summer of cricket here on SENZ. Looking certainly forward to the month of February, where Australia are in town and also South Africa. A few rumours that maybe South Africa are not sending their best test side. I hope that's not the case. Just got 
my phone ringing for some reason. I thought we had turned that down. Anyway, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, plenty of live sport. It's a funny time of year, isn't it? We're just in between things at the moment. Of course, we've got Black Caps taking on Bangladesh at the moment. We're in a bit of trouble. Kane Williamson scoring his 29th Test 100, though. Now has an average, well, prior to this test, had an average of 54.89. He's played 94 matches. I'd imagine that if he doesn't go out, or even if he does go out, that average will bump up to 55. Is he the best cricketer we've had, though? Best batsman. See, to me, technically the best batsman we've had, Martin Crowe. And I do think if we put Martin Crowe in today's era with the benign pitches or the more benign batting pitches, neutral umpires, the DRS, shorter boundaries, no powerful West Indian team, sides like Bangladesh, the occasional um, test match against other minnows, I think Crowe would have scored 30 test hundreds. Kane Williamson, without doubt, the nicest guy, though, that's probably ever played the game. Some people like that moron out of Australia, Simon O'Donnell, saying too nice. It'll be interesting to see how many test hundreds Williamson can end up scoring. 34, 35? You'd imagine that he's not going to reach Ponting's 39 or Sachin Tendulkar's 50. Who's the next player coming through? Is it Ravinda? Ravindra? Can he deliver at a test level what he's done during the Cricket World Cup? You can text us here on double eight double three. We've had some interesting texts on this throughout the afternoon. Uh, the other point that I want to bring up is why people are not watching live sport. Now, I asked a question earlier today when we talked about the women's cricket, and I said, and it probably was misconstrued, and I said, does anybody care? And I've been asking that about sport over the last 12 months, whether it be Super Rugby, um, clearly the Kiwis test. I was asking yesterday about the men's game. But do we care? And I ask that seriously. Why does there seem to be such a level of apathy towards live sport these days? Or is it just me? Am I living in a little bubble and I'm, I don't know, for some reason maybe through this job I've become anti-sport and... I don't seem to get the enjoyment out of it I once did. Or we do follow it. But as Brad Lewis and I were talking about earlier today, perhaps there's not the jeopardy anymore in the game and therefore what is the meaning and the purpose of a lot of it? You know, when you look at cricket, there's only a few series where there's genuinely something up for grabs and that happens to be the Ashes. So we play South Africa in two tests here other than picking up points for the World Test Championship what does it mean it'll mean a lot if we beat Australia don't underestimate that one Australia will be huge even just winning one test against Aussie will be big because they are the number one side in the world and so we are a little bit lucky that we've got some quality opposition this summer to look forward to but people just don't seem to be watching nice sport I, I I'm terrified of this New Auckland football franchise. Who's going to go and watch that? They'll go initially because it's a novelty. But if the team doesn't win and maybe underperforms a a little bit like the Wellington Phoenix, and I think that's fair, I think they have underperformed to a degree, are people going to go and watch? 
And if they do go and watch, what is going to be considered a good crowd? Five, six thousand? Is that sustainable? I think one of the big problems in this country is we just don't have size, we just don't have population either. And we've got so many other things that we're into. 0800 150811. The other news too is that Wellington are more than likely next year for the NPC to move out of Wellington Stadium. They will no longer play NPC rugby at Wellington Stadium. Looking at playing in Porirua at Jerry Collins Stadium. It makes commercial sense, doesn't it? Auckland Rugby need to do the same. Why are you going to opaque Eden Park to nobody and cost the union sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 when you can play at Bell Park in Pakaranga or possibly Douglas Field in Waitakere? Possibly if they get it together, Western Springs, the home of Ponsonby Rugby Club. I think it's a great initiative, I think it's a great move, I think it's a great way of bringing the game back to the public, but it's also a good way of these unions not wasting their money on security and stadia that there is not a demand for. 0800 love a few people just to jump on the phone. I know two to three can be a little bit of a no-man's-land type hour. You can text us here on double eight double three. Uh, someone just texting in regarding the Kiwi League test and why few people turned up. It was Paul. Paul says the late scheduling of the Pacific Championship of League meant limited advertising. There might be an element of truth in that as well. Is it also the fact that we can just sit in the luxury of our living room now on our nice, comfy couches and? The cost of televisions have come down and it's just more convenient to stay at home. And if that is the case, what does sport need to do to make the experience more invitational rather than just transactional? 24 minutes away from three, we'll take a break. We've still got to come back in the day. Got some birthdays we want to announce on this day in history and we might even bring you some sports headlines. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Eighteen and a half minutes away from three good texts that's come in. Just thinking, how many more centuries would Donald Bradman have scored today in today's environment if you are, say, comparing with Martin Crowe? And that comes from Terry. Yeah, well, I mean you'd have to consider that he probably would have scored a lot more because the pitches that Bradman and stuff played on were not particularly batting friendly, didn't quite have the protective clothing either that is on offer these days. Mind you, some people argue that perhaps the depth wasn't the same back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s that it is now. But you do think Bradman's average would have been certainly above 100, certainly well above 100, and I think Martin Crowe would have gone on and scored a lot more test hundreds. Let's go to the phones. The great Rex phones us. Hi, Rex. Oh, how are you? This news to me, I heard in your uh, advert clip that the University of Otago Oval was going to be renamed the Susie Bates Oval just for the weekend or something. Is that what it said? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, it's... Uh, it's good, I suppose. Uh, they, they could name it the Bert Sutcliffe over one day, which is one of Otago's greatest batsmen. And anyway, back to your um, back to your thing about the uh, 
I mean, we can, you know, it's subjective who's the greatest, but go, going on the stats, now that's only one measure, but it is an important one. You know, of course it is. Yeah. It, um, Williamson is demonstrably better by some margin. You know, I'm just talking 2 or 3%. We're talking about, you know, I've got them here in front of me, but you probably know them. It's his test, 17 centuries, average of 45, Martin Crow. And we now know that um, Williamson has 29 centuries of 54. There's a nine, nine difference there. And in the one days, only four centuries and 143 one-day matches. Only scored four centuries, average of 38. And whereas we have Williamson, 165 games, 13 centuries. And again, a much higher average of 48.6. It's 10 more. So these are, these are big margins. You know, I don't think they really allow for too much. Yeah, I, I, I guess my point is, Rex, that, look, I look at the players today, they're full-time athletes, um, so they've got that security and financial security a lot more so than when Crow was playing in the 80s and towards the end of his career in the 1990s, he did pick up that, he did have that knee injury which he carried throughout his career. Look, you're not, you're not coming up against a world-class West Indian team these days. You're playing on pitches which are benign, and I think if you look at the statistics, a good fast bowler these days is averaging 28 runs per wicket. Back in the day, Hadley, 21-22. Um, you know, we've seen this meteoric, almost, what's the word, almost um, um, exponential in terms of the number of cricketers in recent times, surpassing 20 test centuries, 25, 30. We've seen a lot more batting averages in the last 10 or 15 years going well above 50. Bats are bigger, grounds are smaller. Um, from what I saw, yes, I enjoy watching Kane Williamson play, but I still think technically Crow's the best I've ever seen. I mean, Crow, Crow's definitely a much more graceful, elegant, you know, all those sorts of adjectives than watching uh, Kane. I mean, Kane, Kane is, looks more tradesman-like. I mean, he can play attractive shots, but, but um, Martin Crow was a real stylish player, there's no mm. doubt about it. Mm. Much easier on the eye. And, I, yeah, it amazes me in cricket, unlike other sports, take baseball, but in cricket, they, they allowed the bats to increase in size and, and weight and width. You know, you look at the old older bats and today's bats, and they're, they're about twice as thick now. And, and as you say, they've brought in the boundaries, so that favours the batsman. Those two facts. You, you've and, also um, you, you've also got the um, you know you, you you've got the DRS now. So if you, you, you're not out or you think you haven't got the edge and gone, well, you know, you can go upstairs, and that's probably one part of technology. We're 99% of the time, if the umpire has got the decision wrong, it will be proven to be wrong. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, I was just thinking about Bradman, you know, he he missed a whole decade of batting between mm. 1938 till 1948, so there's 10 years because of World War Two and, you know, the, the, res- the halt during, after the war, so there's 10 whole years he missed him playing, and you just wonder. Mm. And he came back when he was relatively old for that last year, 1948, and it was still terrific. But imagine if he had kept batting for those 10 years, what sort of um, numbers he would have put up. It's, so, I mean, you look at statistically, there's statistics. The only guy that I can think about records that might not ever be broken are probably Wayne Gretzky and ice hockey, and you need to understand the sport yeah. and look at the statistics and yeah, Bradman's yeah. batting average, you know, considering, you know, with, 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 say, a minimum of 30 tests, you know. Yeah, I was, I was trying to explain to a, 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 an American about how good Bradman was, and I said, well, think about it this way. Imagine if someone had a career batting average in baseball of 600. Correct. And, and then I think they started to 
because because the highest in the history of you know uh, career batting is only in the low 400s and mm. you know no, no one's got close to 500 let alone 600 but that that would be an analogy in uh, baseball yeah, I mean, far ahead. Bra- I mean, Bradman is genuinely a statistical outlier. Yeah. I, I think the other record will never be broken for longevity, and his name's gone straight out of my head for a minute. But he's the uh, shortstop first baseman who played about a zillion uh, consecutive games of Major League yeah, Baseball. Yeah, yeah. He, for, he, for he the, passed Luke Gehrig's record. Yeah, for the, and, uh, was it for the some, Baltimore Orioles, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I just can't remember. He played for lots of clubs, and... I, I, his, his name's got out of that, but you know the one I mean. He, I do. It's, a, it's getting up around 3,000 games. It's just quite ridiculous. These are consecutive games, you know. He, he never missed a game for because of injury or sickness, and he played. Uh, it's just a phenomenal record that I don't think will ever be matched either. Mm. Lovely to have you on the program, Rex, as always. Lovely to chat. Keep up the good work, Mark. I think you're talking possibly, was it Cal Ripken? I'm not sure. Yep. Hey, thank you, Rex. 0800 150811 is the number. Hi, John. Oh, hey, what? always great to talk to you, mate. I appreciate um, it. Thank you. It's uh, it's always hard to compare here as a, in any sport, in any yep. decade, whatever it is. But I look at it this way. Kane Williamson, you know, we're, we're both probably going to be gone in 80 years' time. But do you think that his records will be there in 80 years' time? And do you think he could be a great player in 80 years' time, how he is now? Oh, no, look, his, that, rec- that his, his record will get broken by another New Zealander at some point. His record will get broken within New Zealand. Um, but I think the way we, you know, you go back and look at Bert Sutcliffe, Stu Dempsey and some of those cricketers from the 50s and be, and prior to that, I still think go down as great cricketers of New Zealand. Um, mm. But clearly those, th- their numbers have been well and truly surpassed. So I think he'll always go down as a great. Will his records stand the test of time? Probably not. Yeah, well, what I'm trying to get at is it's, it's always hard over time to compare. Mm. No, it is. Correct. In 80, in, in 80 years' time, Afghanistan might be the best cricketing nation in the world. Yeah, and, we just don't know. Nope. And, and absolutely Bangladesh number two. Who knows? Yeah, and who knows? And that's how the world works. So mm. to compare Bradman to Kane Williamson, um, you can't. You can't. I'm sorry. Bradman mm. was one of the great. He is the greatest of his era. And Kane Williamson is the greatest New Zealander. At his on his area as well, and you're going back to Crow there. I believe Crow will go down as our greatest ever batsman. I'll tell you why because he had people like Brian Lara, he had people like um, some of the greatest Australian cricketers ever wore. Talk about him as the greatest batsman. Well, I know, I, I know, um, it was no, it wasn't was he Akram? Yeah, no, was he Akram actually said that he said the best batsman that he ever had to bowl to was Martin Crow, and I think and he said that in Australia to an Australian panel and they're all sort of sitting there expecting him to talk about some Australian cricket. he said no Martin Crow was the best batsman I ever bowled to which was a great kudos for him and look it's a bit like it's a bit like um Tiger Woods is he the greatest golfer that's ever played the game yes he is has he got as many major championships as uh, Jack Nicholas? no he hasn't but I think there are other factors that you have to determine in now I'm not saying Crow is the greatest New Zealand thing I just think technically he's the best I've seen and, you know, I, I probably see him as the best batsman I've seen play for New Zealand. Hey, John, yeah. lovely to have you on the programme. I've just got to uh, get hold of... Uh, we've got Blake here. Hi, Blake. Hey, mate, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, look, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm in, the, I'm in the crow. I'm 40, so I'm in one of the young kids. I just think Williamson, um, 
you know, like Williamson averaged 55 currently. The greatest of his era average-wise is obviously Steve Smith at 57, so Williamson's in that ballpark. Whereas if you look at Crow's era, um, averaging 45, he doesn't actually get close to the best players of his era average-wise. You've got Alan Border, who played in pretty much the same era at 51. Steve Waugh, Brian Lara all played through that era. All I'll say in defence is that I'm not sure that Crow had the openers in front of him I think Crow was exposed to the new ball a lot earlier than possibly what some of those other cricketers were when you look at the likes of Greenwich and Haynes who opened and you go back and you have a look at some of the great Australian opening partnerships. So there are a few factors. But, yeah, clearly, look, I mean, I'm not saying he's the best. Yeah, it, look, it's 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 just a personal opinion from, yeah, having watched a lot of cricket. But, uh, you know, and it's always hard, isn't it, to, I, I guess, truly reflect on a player while they're still playing. Yeah, the other thing I'd say is DRS, you sort of mentioned that earlier, but I don't think DRS necessarily um, favours the batter over the bowler. Anyway, so I, don't, I think it's a moot point when you're arguing about errors because you could get a howler and um, be given out or you could get not given out when you are out. So I don't think... You know, oh, the yeah. bowlers can appeal and so can the batters. I don't think that's... No, nah, but I just, go back, I just go back to Australia, the boxing test, 86, 87, Mike Whitney there at the crease, Hadley bowling to him, Claire LBW on about four occasions and just some of the skullduggery that went into the umpiring. I'm not saying that New Zealand batsmen maybe didn't benefit at home with it all. I just think that batting conditions these days are more conducive for this group of batsmen than it was back in the 1980s. And therefore, you look at the bowling, you know, look at bowling averages now have become a lot higher for bowlers. Batting averages have become a lot higher. So it means that, you know, I think bowlers, it's harder to get good bowling averages compared to bowlers of yesteryear. And I think for batters, it's easy to get higher averages. But again, it's subjective. It's a good discussion, Blake. So, so just sum, summarise for me, who is your best batsman, you think, Kane Williamson? For New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah. That I've seen. That I've seen. I'm 40 and I would say Williamson. Like yeah. I sort of think uh, if, if, if Williamson played as many tests as, um, an Englishman or an Australian or an Indian, he would probably, by the time he's finished his career, and this isn't exaggerating, he'd be in the top five run getters of all time. He'd probably have 14 or 15,000 runs. He's going to probably end up with 10 or 11,000. Yeah. Um, and that will put him at like elite status. I just don't know that Crow's stats. Stand up to that. I'm not yeah, no, but no, no, look, there's some merit in it too, isn't there? I mean, I look at some of the Indian players and you think, well, yeah, but you look at the pitches they play on. I mean, Sunil Gavaskar, when he got to 30 test hundreds, which held the record for a long time, and that was in that Hadley era, but you know, you're playing on basically dirt tracks, and it was always a batting paradise in India um, because no one would bring the spinning spinners to India that India could produce in return. Hey, lovely to have you on the program, Blake. Don't be a stranger to the program. I think it's the first time we've spoken. I do need to take a commercial break. We are coming up to the hour of three. Thanks. Right, that must be my cue. Sorry, I was just uh, looking at um, possible opportunities for tomorrow's show. Uh, Look, it has been a privilege and a pleasure to have your company. Got a drive show coming up next here on SENZ. Special thanks to Joe Bell. I just want to acknowledge everybody that's taken the time to text in, jumped on the phone, um, or simply listened. I think talkback's a better experience when you do get on the phones. I will say this, if you don't like an opinion, don't listen to talkback radio. Um, But we do encourage free speech. Always keen for people to jump on and have slightly different views or agree to disagree. And always happy for you out there to drive the discussion if there is something that is on your mind. So we'll do it all again tomorrow between 12 and 3.
We are done and dusted. If you are driving around the country, do take care. It's been a privilege and a pleasure.